This is a production of Dirty Mo Media. The Dale Jr. Download. Hey everybody, it's Dale Jr. Welcome back to another episode of the Dale Jr. Download. I'm here with my co-host, Mike Davis. What's up, Mike? Man, nothing. How are you doing? Nothing is up. Well, there is a lot to discuss today. Can't wait. Um, Schultz is in the house. Leah's here. It's going to be an awesome show. Ty Norris Mm. is our guest, okay? Um, Some people know Ty. Some people may not. You're going to want to hear this conversation. Ty used to be the GM at DEI. He held a few other roles as well. We're going to cover all of that. Um, I can't wait to hear his view or version of the events. Mike, you were part of all this. A part of it, right? Yeah. So are you not excited to sort of get the behind-the-scenes understanding of how all that unraveled? Yeah, no, that's that's the thing. Also, he was your spotter. Don't forget that. Well, he was a spotter. You um, also know that he was uh, the GM at Michael Waltrip's race team. Oh, he was. I forgot yes. about that. When all <laughs> of their things went down, he was a big yeah. player. In uh, the 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 you know the, the thing that happened in Richmond with yeah. Clint Boyer and all that, so yeah. we're gonna definitely have to dive into that. I don't know how we're gonna cover it all in one show. Really we're gonna don't. try though. Hi, right, Ty is here, Mike. He is in the house. Let's get him in the studio and at the table. What's up, Ty? Ty Norris, welcome. Man, this is great. What a setup. Yeah, we have a lot of fun here. I've noticed that. Man, you look great. Staying in good health. I, uh, it's a challenge, man. The, uh, the clock keeps ticking, and every time I look around, the, uh, there's, a sign, there's a line in that Aerosmith song. Every time I look in the mirror, these old lines keep getting clearer. Yeah. <laughs> I, I, now I know what he means. Oh, yeah? Well, it's good to see you. Thank you, man. Yeah. I, good. I, I appreciate the, uh, the Norris out here. <laughs> yeah. You didn't even know it was there, uh-uh. but that's okay. Yeah. That's for you. Yeah, I see that. I, you know, I was a longtime sponsor. I feel like I've been around that long. Yeah, no kidding. <laughs> you have been around a long time. When we're looking at these notes, we got a lot to cover, don't yeah. we? Oh my gosh! So I know you from your uh, your time at DEI. Yes, sir. You held a few different positions there, but um, no, most notably, I guess, general manager. Yes. Kind of the the <laughs> you were over the top of of all things all things racing. For, yes. For the most part. Yeah. Um, what other jobs did you have there? Well, when I started, you know, actually when Dale came to me about coming on board, it was actually the 1996 All-Star Race. Yeah. Um, he and Terry Labonte were racing, and, and he almost got wrecked, and then Michael en- ended up winning the race. And afterwards, he said, come up to the condo. And I got up there, and he said, my company's a runaway train. Hop on. And I'm like, what do you want me to do? And he goes, we'll figure it out. Yeah. So my title must have been We Figured Out. So, um, <laughs> But generally, it was just start start the company, help him get um, everything established, like as a business, right? Because yep. we're everybody's racers, but now you just got to be a business at some point. And uh, so sponsorships were important and manufacturer yeah. was important and dealing with all that stuff and then personnel and contracts and all that. So, so you were at the forefront so, of all that right out of the gate. This is the around gate. the time Jeff Green was probably driving the Xfinity car at that yeah. time, and it was turning into more than just a fun yeah. little – uh, yeah. side project of dad's as it had been for years you also uh had the same sort of role at michael's team yep and now you're at track house yes with the same similar role similar role yes mm-hmm. and that's going well like really good yeah you know it's probably you probably <laughs> want it to go better but honestly man like that team has had some great runs 
Yeah, it's it, what's really crazy about. Thank you for that. First of all, it's it's nice to it's been recognized that that the team's doing well. I don't know what people's expectations were, but you know, Justin and I, Justin Marks and I, sat in California, summer of 2019, and whiteboarded this whole idea and everything about it, even into the next gen. And it was amazing when we got to the Daytona 500 this year. And we looked at that white, basically a picture of that whiteboard, and we're like, every one of these boxes has been checked. We didn't know who was going to fill all those boxes and how it was going to work and who our partner was going to be. Um, but it was really, it's really his vision, and it's come to life. And it's been, a, I'm very proud to be, actually be a part of like pulling it together. But I gave a lot of credit to the alliance we have with Chevrolet and Richard Childress Racing because they took a lot of the – we decided we didn't want to be manufacturers. We didn't want to manufacture and build things. That's what they do. They've done it for 40 years, 50 years. Let them do what they're best at. We'll find sponsorships. We'll market ourselves, and then we'll blend the, these cultures together. And, and, and fortunately, 11 races into it, it's been, it's been you know, I'd say, a, I'd say overall a success – um, but obviously, like you're saying, like, you know, you, once, then you get hungry, you know, yeah. almost want to race at Bristol and you're like, oh, cool, mm. we can do this. And he's like, okay, calm down a little bit. Yeah. Calm down a little bit. So. Explain who Justin is. So Justin Marks, uh, his family's from California, been in Silicon Valley for years. And, you know, Justin decided he wanted to race for a living and, uh, he wanted to try his, uh, he'd raced for 20 years. He ran, uh, IMSA and he ran, he ran for Acura and Porsche and a bunch of other groups and, um, then he got his chance at NASCAR and he ran some truck series and he actually won in the Xfinity series, uh, with Chip Ganassi, um, uh, one year and, um, just has huge passion for racing. Um, what I did not expect when I sat down with him was just how smart he is about the industry, first of all, and second, how his, what his passion is for it. Like he's, he loves racing probably more than anything other yeah. than his girls and his wife, obviously. But I mean, he loves racing and he wanted to dive in to the deep end of the pool and said, I'm looking at the cup series. I don't want to just, you know, mess around. He says, my family's, they do do things big and that's what I want to do. You live in Nashville though, don't you? Yeah. That was one of the things he was in California. I was in Charlotte. I've been here for 30 years and he was in California and he said, I, I want to start this company. I want to start, I want to start building this whole culture that, that blends sport and entertainment. Um, and I need to figure out a place to do it. And he thought about Austin. He thought about Nashville and, and we, he landed in Nashville and he called me up and he's like, do you want to come out here? And I was like, yeah, I'll move. I'll move right now. So, so you moved, moved to Nashville yeah. for the race team. Oh yeah. Yeah. I moved to Nashville for the race team to, to go there and be mm. shoulder to shoulder with him really to kind of get everything started because it's, it's, it would be hard right now right at the time it's just two of us, you know? Yeah. And so we're like, we got to build this up. And we, we decided, I decided I was divorced, decided I was going to go over there and that's what I was going to do. What is your, what is the space look like where you are? In Nashville, this space about, is about the size of this, you yeah. know, and, uh, you know, with, with the intent, you know, someday we'd, we'd have a, we'd have a team there in Nashville. Yeah. And, but your cars and everything are over at RCR. Yeah. And we, we, we did a partnership at RCR and to be on that floor, to really take advantage of all the processes and everything that you know you have to build out and yep. didn't have to buy a bunch of toolboxes and nut and bolt bins like those guys had all that stuff so yep um, that's what we did makes makes really really good sense really smart way to uh to sort of build a team off the ground and yeah obviously you know you can't you just don't poof snap your fingers and have a shop and all the stuff me 
I mean, listen, twenty million. No one was as yeah. influential influential as your dad when he was starting his team, and look how long it took us to get. I mean, out of our own way. Yeah. And we had a tremendous amount of money to to back it. And then we go to to, to Michael Waltrip, and we had all the Toyota uh, support, um, ungodly amounts of money to to go out. And we were, you know, a disaster for a couple what a couple years until we finally got our feet under us. And then we were really, I'd say, you got to a very pretty solid spot. So I just told Justin, I'm like, let's not make these same mistakes without burning all this cash. Let's. Let, there are a lot of teams that are going to need what we want, and we can bring things to them that they need, and let's see if we can find a partner, and, and RCR was the one. So um, let's talk about your beginnings, uh, <laughs> Central North Carolina. Uh, your dad was in the Air Force. Yeah, yeah my dad was, uh, he was in the Air Force, and they were in a little mill town uh, in Irwin, North Carolina. They had a big old cotton factory there and that's what everybody in the town did and my 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 grandmother started working at the the cotton mill when she was 11 and she lived she worked there until she was 65 or whenever she retired and they lived in the same house their whole their whole lives in like little it was like four rooms and the entire family grew up going to grandma's house i was i went to her house for christmas until i was 27 28 years old and we just all piled in there and, yeah. and laid around and quilt stuff but that was that was sort of the the beginnings and my dad was in the air force and so i was born on an air force base and um lived in sumter south carolina until i was 12 Every, they loved racing i mean that that's what my my grandfather and my dad did not get along that great the one thing that they did get along doing was racing Mm-hmm. Going to races, they'd go to Rockingham and Darlington and stuff. And so the first race I ever track I ever walked into, I was probably six or seven years old, was Darlington, and bought a David Pearson T-shirt. You know, so that's just that was my first introduction to it. So we moved to Delaware. No one really knew that much about about racing. And so uh, when I was living up there, um, I, I wanted to be a sports writer. And why did you want to do that? I had a good, I had a good friend. His brother was a sports writer, and I just played sports, and so I always knew I was going to be very good. athletic. I was going to be good enough. You were, to, yeah. you were athletic. Yeah. So, what sports did you play? I played basketball was my best sport. I played football. Uh, was I was captain on the defense, but I was terrible. You know, I don't know why I was. I was I was probably the worst player on there. I was really good at baseball, but my dad wouldn't let me play baseball, and so be, for some reason wouldn't let me play or couldn't get signed up. So it said play tennis, and they ended up playing tennis and I was went to the state semifinals you know I just wow. pick it up and just wow. go and and uh so I just played all sports just because that's what we did you didn't have a specific sport then you played everything you could yeah and uh but yeah so I was I, I loved it and I still try to stay pretty active sports doing writer so I wanted to be a sports writer because I wanted to cover it you know because I, I thought I knew you it. wanted to cover NASCAR yeah racing, well I, I wanted sports. to cover I was covering I wanted to cover professional sports yeah you know, right in Delaware, racing came to town twice a year, and not a lot of people there knew what was going on with the sport. So I was like, I know who these guys are. I know what I kind of know. I've followed them on MRN more right. than anything else, you know. Yeah. And uh, so I was 19 years old, and I went out and I was a pit reporter. Mm. And and for I was who? for Delaware State News. And I was I remember being in the pits at Dover, and you didn't couldn't have a crossover then, so you'd sit there for six hours and and interview drivers when they would blow up or crash or whatever and go get some quotes and uh the <laughs> my best quote the best thing i ever did a quote i ever got in there was harry gant finished second to bill elliott one year and i went up there to talk to him about the race and he goes hail finishing second to bills this year is like winning he yeah. goes we're gonna get a trophy you know <laughs> <I was> like, <laughs> and so it was a great quote and so uh so anyway, this was around in the early 80s 
Yeah, I'd say that was probably '84 or so yeah. in that area, that era. Were you and, in college? Uh, yeah, I was. I was a soft between my sophomore and junior years at uh, Delaware State University, right across the street, almost. Right? Yeah, I had. Um, I had gone to. I, I'd been accepted and had roommate and everything all set up to go to the University of Delaware with all my friends, and then the bill came, and my dad came to me and he was like. Um, what's this for? And I said, well, it's for tuition and room and board. And he's like, I, I don't, you, I don't I, you need to figure out something else because I don't have it. And it was August, you know, everybody was going. So I ended up having to punt and I punted and went to Delaware State and it was right down the street and commuted and saved, you know, money. And so, wow. Yeah. It all kind of happened. Was that frustrating? Well, you know, at the time, of course, it's frustrating because all your friends are doing it, yeah. right? And like, and I remember one time, and this—I mean, my dad passed about two years ago, but I just so I can say this without getting him mad. Um, I remember driving down the street, and and I pointed over to a friend's house, and I'm like, "Well, his dad works over at the lumber yard, and they they can afford for him to go." And my dad <laughs> came across the truck and power drive me in my chest, and he said, "Don't you ever compare me to another man." Yeah. yeah. Yeah, and, you had it coming. And I was like, yes, sir. <laughs> and I've carried that message all the way through, you know. And so it's just uh, – it's it's one of those moments. In 1990, you were um, done covering races for the for the Delaware State News. You yeah. went and took a job with R.J. Reynolds. Yeah, it was, uh, I was in – I, I was in uh, – at the, at the in the press box and getting Bob Kelly came up to me and he said hey I just read this big old tab that you guys just you know special section there's 32 pages your bylines on every one of these and I was like yeah I laid it out I wrote the stories I, I did all the interviews I did the whole thing and he said are you interested in traveling and are you interested in public relations and I was like I'm not exactly sure what you're talking about <laughs> and he goes he goes uh, well I want you to come down to Winston-Salem and interview for the job and so I uh I was like, sure. So I borrowed a friend's car. I drove down. I, uh, I actually had a flat tire and fixed it, and I, I made it all the way to Winston-Salem when I fixed a flat. And I remember I didn't have a suit, so I borrowed a suit from my, my buddy, and, they, and I, I remember wearing a pink shirt because that's all I had. And I was like, damn, they're not going to hire me with a pink shirt. <laughs> R.J. Reynolds yeah, at the tobacco company. R.J. tobacco company, right? You Dude understand that, right? <laughs> and then I, I mean, I, it was like 25 bucks to go get a new shirt, and I just didn't have the money to go do it. So we just uh, went down there and interviewed and got the job and started right away in uh, 1990. You saw the difference between R.J. Reynolds' salary and what a sports writer is going to make, and that, that was the decision, wasn't it? <laughs> so we were making 15500 me and my buddy. And I remember one night he goes, tonight we're partying like we make fifteen six. <laughs> so, <laughs> yeah. so you you've got from 1990 – to 1996, when Dad talks to you about coming to work for him, yeah. what all happened in those six years that <laughs> that got you that opportunity? How did you create that relationship with Dad? Yeah, I, it's it, it it I've I've thought about this obviously a tremendous amount because he, what what he has meant to me personally through my whole life, and um, I remember so I started in 1990, and I remember Dale won the championship. I was there for, at RJ Arnold for almost five years, and he won the championship 90, 91, 93, 94. And so as the champion, I was a representative for Winston. And so about a year and a half, so we'd go up to, like, my first time I went up to the Waldorf yeah. and stayed in the presidential suite. I didn't stay there, but I went up to the presidential suite and got him all doing all his media stuff, and that's what that was my job, just kind of like getting from point A to point B. And he just kept saying things to me like, I really like you, man. I like you. I, don't, I didn't know why. I mean, he's much older. He's 14, 15 years older. And I was like, I'm not sure why he likes me. That's fun. And um, so he kept telling me, like, in 1990, he told me, so you're going to come work for me. 
<laughs> and we were because I remember it was specific. We were in a limo with a guy named Jody Davis, the catcher. Yes. Oh yeah. And he was his For buddy. The Braves. Yeah. And he was just like. He was like, man, I'm gonna hire that guy. What do you think? And, I, and he was like, I don't know. And I looked at him. I said, you can't afford me. Ah. And I was, I was knocking out thirty yeah. grand. You know, like <laughs> you can't afford me. And he was just like, he and he just kind of laughed. And we joked about it for years. But you know, we ended up doing a lot of things together. So like, I was, I'd say it's like '93 or so, maybe '92 or '93. He called me and he said, I just bought this yacht, and um, it's called Sunday Money. And he said, I want to fly you and my 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 wife at the time, Beth. We're going to fly down to the Bahamas with Michael and Buffy. And I was like, okay. It just kind of seemed like a strange group of people. So weird, yeah. And uh, we got down there, and we ended up forming this friendship, and it was like that forever. I mean, I probably went on vacation from 1993 to, to the day he passed. I, I was on vacation with him every summer. I, I was like, where am I going for vacation this year? I was like, I don't know. Ask Dale. <laughs> I don't know. And it just, it just formed a relationship. I don't know why it started that way, except one time I do remember we were up in the – by the where the captain's you know driving the boat and we were out there and Teresa and buffy and beth were all laying out in their bikinis and he goes looked at me goes you understand why i asked you guys to come now <laughs> <laughs> well, well i know you say you don't know why he took a liking to you but what was the key to developing a that type of relationship with dale earnhardt back at that time when he was on top of the world oh uh, i just I, I mean i think everybody one of the things that I, I've always been able to do this is just look, every, everyone's a human being first, you know, and then, then they have a title that goes from the president of the United States to, to Pitbull, to Dale Earnhardt, Dale Jr. To Mike Davis, like everybody's a human being, you treat everybody the same. And, um, you know, I, I certainly respected what he was doing, but we had more personal time than we had as much as we had professional time. And so when you build that, sort of personal time relationship when you call on somebody it's like hey i need a favor or we need you to do something he's like yeah i'll do it for you and so when i started seeing that so about 92 rjr went through cuts and i was the last guy there like i was like mm. i'm surely cut there were like 58 people and they're cutting down to like 38 or 40 mm. and i'm like that's 18 people there's no way they're keeping the newest guy and dale pulled t wayne robinson off to the side and he said i don't care what you're doing but that guy stays oh and T. Wayne came to me. He said, "What'd you do to Dale?" And I'm like, "I don't know. Is he mad?" And he goes, "No." He and he told me the story, and I was and I like I teared up. I was like, Are "You kidding me?" And then I felt bad for all these other employees who were there. But Dale had a lot of influence, and I very rarely shared that because like he saved me, and I could have been back in, Del in Delaware trying to figure out my next sports writing job right. or something. But he he did that, and I and I forever was loyal because of it. What's this? Uh <laughs> uh, up at the presidential suite at the banquet in the Waldorf, this note about him messing with somebody while they were sleeping. The only story I was talking about with Dale Jr. was we came in from some sort of event, PR press event or something, and you and Kelly had just arrived. And it's so it's the presidential suite and all this stuff's going on. You got the butler Ishmael around. Yeah. And here's Dale Jr. asleep on the couch in the middle of the living room <laughs> <laughs> in the middle of the day. And Dale came in and just like almost like threw you off the couch, started yelling at you. And I and that's the first time I really spent any time around that father son yeah. relationship. And I didn't really know you that well. Yeah. And I didn't know you at all, really. And I was like, man, that, that's harsh. Yeah. <laughs> he was so hard on you, and like, and he carried it for a long time. He was so hard on you. That was the first time I saw it. And then you know, I, you know, I I just don't know that I could ever be that hard on like that mean to yeah. my kids. Yeah. Um, but you seem to 
you seem to expect it. <laughs> oh, yeah. Oh, yeah. He was tough. Um, but I don't understand what the problem was other than being asleep on a couch. I mean, like, was it just the time of day? What was the situation? Uh, people were around. Dad was – Dad is probably – Running wide open from thing to thing, busy, 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 and he walks in, and his son's sleeping on the couch in the middle of a presidential suite in New York City, and he probably was like, "If I'm busting my ass, you're not going to be sleeping on this couch all day." All right, so pre '96, you had you're working for RJ, RJR. Mm-hmm. When do you start working with race teams, and 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 who was that with? Yeah, so. Felix Sabatis asked me to go work for him because he was making some changes and he asked me to come be um, his GM. And and were you qualified for that? Hell no. Okay. I wasn't sure I was qualified for the job. I had a DEI. I wasn't sure I was qualified when I got to Michael Walter. I may not quite be qualified now, but I was just like, there's no way I was qualified for that job. But he wanted somebody to take care of Kyle Petty. And there he was having there was you know there's a lot of stuff going on with Kyle and Mellow Yellow was there and everything and so he hired me on to take on this role and I'm like I'm not sure why he gave me the GM role like it was really a marketing request but it became GM because it was running the business right and and, and so um, Felix and I talked about it and he was like and he's called me Tyrone hey Tyrone here's he goes I'll double your salary and I'll give you a car and I'll move you to Charlotte and you can stay in my condo and I was like well, I mean all this sounds amazing yeah I'm like let's do it <laughs> and then I got down there and about a month later I remember coming home and I was bawling why because uh, RJ are my family yeah they were my family and when I got to a race team I had no idea how much backstabbing happened how much trouble there I mean everybody was always to, about the other person and you were just all of a sudden you were managing things i came from a culture of pulling the rope in the same direction then whether you were the president of the company or the the assistant manager who had just been hired i got treated like t wayne robertson got treated by jeff burden's guy when i got that race team i was like oh my god yeah and it wasn't even felix's fault it was just a culture yeah and um and so man it was tough and and I, I i didn't like it and so dale came to me in fact dale came to me at dover and he said he came and pulled me off the side and he said you learn everything you can learn and i'm gonna come get you when it's time wow and wow. i was like okay so i i did what i could do you've been a spotter at times you're a spotter for me what you were spotted for kyle was that your first time spot for Kyle? You were testing at Daytona? <laughs> yeah. Yeah, we were testing at Daytona, and they were like, man, he almost, Brett Bodine spun on the front straightaway during testing by himself, and Kyle was hitting. And Kyle starts yelling. He's like, we got to get some up here to like just pay attention. What's going on? And so looking around, like, who's not doing anything? And I'm like, <laughs> me? You know, I mean, I'm just down here. just I'm reporting yeah. back to, you know, ownership, and which everybody hated anyway. And so I'm like, I'll go do something. So I go up on top of the tower and I am shaking oh. and I'm like, it's not, it wasn't even like the tower tower. It was like the inside photo tower. And I'm like, I'm shaking and I'm trying to tell him what's going on. And they're in the pack and all this kind of stuff's going on. And, and I, and Kyle finally said, Ty, shut up. And he said, just give me a car color. Stop trying to say, tell me orange car, pink car. I don't <laughs> care what you say. Say something, but don't, don't try to talk. <laughs> I was like, yes, sir. <laughs> yes, sir. <laughs> Yellow on your inside. <laughs> yeah. yeah. yeah I'd, I'd been yelled at by several people. Homes.com knows that when it comes to home shopping, it's never just about the house or condo. It's about the home. 
And what makes a home is more than just the house or the property. It's the location and neighborhood, Dalton. If you have kids, it's also schools, nearby parks, and transportation options. That's why Homes.com goes above and beyond to bring home shoppers the in-depth information they need to find the right home. And when we say in-depth, we're talking deep in-depth. Each listing features comprehensive information about the neighborhood, complete with a video guide. They also have details about local schools with test scores, state rankings, and student-to-teacher ratio. They even have an agent directory with the sales history of each agent. So when it comes to finding a home, not just a house, a home, this is everything you need to know all in one place. Homes.com. We've done your homework. So you started uh, working at DEI. You worked there from two, from 96 to 04? Yeah. I mean, that was a roller coaster. Oh, my God. Yeah. Yeah. So, yeah, I mean, go ahead and let's dump it out. Let's dump it out. Dump that bucket <laughs> all over this table. I need about 17 hours. <laughs> we got I need, it. I need to lay down on the couch, go through my therapy. Yeah. So, um, so go ahead, ask. You can ask and I'll answer. Uh, my, um, well, okay, I'll just, my memory of, my impression of you out of the gate was, one of dad's most trusted lieutenants, right? You're, mm-hmm. you definitely are, aren't overstating the relationship that you have with dad. And, and he looked at you as, as someone that was going to help him make this thing, what he wanted to, wanted to, wanted it to happen. And everything was going in the right direction. Mm-hmm. It was, and things were amazing. Your dad didn't go out there and pilfer all the best people from all the teams he was going to do that over a long, slow period of time. Mm-hmm. But anybody that he walked over, if he walked over to any organization and said to a fab guy, an engine guy, or anybody and said, I need you. Yeah. He'd say more than that, but he would, you know, he would tell them yeah. and they would come. Right. We were going to have the best people. Yeah. We had the best sponsorships, the biggest sponsorships. Mm-hmm. This machine was going to be unstoppable. Yeah. You know, and then, then he died. Right, you know, and all that changed immediately. Um, yeah, I remember when we came. I remember when we all after Dad was killed, almost immediately, we all got together, uh, figuratively, decided we're just gonna keep going. Yep, yep. Whatever that means, right? And mm-hmm. we did, and we did all right. Oh um, four was our best year. Yeah, um, but that was for me. Oh four was the the last was year. It, yeah. Yeah, mm-hmm. and I, I'm glad you said that because I I left at the beginning of '04, and I'm glad to, I'm glad we set you <laughs> off in a good place, and then you were like, "Damn, what things happened?" Things just went things went uh, bad. But for me. let's I, yeah. I I I got a, several things to, to really kind of go through there. Um, you're you're right. Your dad had the vision, and he just needed someone to execute it. And as a lieutenant, that's what I did, and I reported to him what was going on. He told me every day, and like he would, your dad would always be like, "No first. I'm like, well, we're thinking about this. And he go, nah, I don't want to do that. And he's like, why? And he was like, well, because we want to do this. And he's like, okay, now let's do that. So he would, he'd make you think, or at least maybe made me think. I don't know if it's that way for everybody, but he would go, okay, well, just kind of justify it. And, and so he taught me, and I always say he was the valedictorian of the University of Common Sense. Mm. And so he was just street smart. So... And then business savvy, of course. And, and listen, let's not all put him on the pedestal that sure. he was he was flawless. The man was not flawless. No. We all know that. And we all know that in a big way. Um, but he had a vision, and he, he let you get out there and get after it and go get it done. 
And people quite often knew that if, if I was saying something or I was talking about something or I was recruiting or whatever, they knew basically I'm repeating Dale's words, right? I, you, don't go into, you don't go rogue on Dale Earnhardt. So, so I had that credibility just because I was getting it done what he needed me to get done. Once he was gone, I thought I was still doing that. And, and when I, I have a word that I describe uh, DEI as splintered. It became totally splintered. It became, this guy thinks he should run it. It's Game of Thrones, man. It was Game of Thrones. It was like, this guy needs a crown. No, this guy needs a crown. This guy needs a crown. We were like, no, 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 no. Who needs a crown? Like, no one needs a crown. No one needs a throne. No one, like, just do our jobs. And we didn't have the, the, the go-to. I mean, I got into a big argument with Tony Urie when Dale was around about just whatever you argue with Tony Urie about. Sure. I mean, it was just something it was big, and it blew up, and he – threw an FU at me and I threw an FU at him. And so Dale grabbed us and he brought us up to lunch up there in the trophy room. And he sat down and he's like, what were you saying about Ty again? Say it right here. Well, 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 it, he came down here and was trying to do this. And he goes, well, here's why he did that. And he goes, Ty, t- say what you were talking about, Tony. And I'm like, well, I mean, he's just, he won't listen. You know, like, so you go, we, he made us talk. And then, you know, we, we, didn't, we, were, we were never close buddies or anything, but we talked it out. We didn't have that afterwards. When someone wanted to talk about this guy, it just he found a click, and this guy found a click, and that guy found a click, and next thing you know, we had all these people. And then, just like par- paranoia fell in to Teresa, quite honestly, paranoia was like, you know, who's trying to get Dale's money? Who's trying to get our money? Who's trying to get this power? It fell across the the whole company, and it splintered bad. And the only person that could have saved it would have been you, but she didn't let you do that, and that was uh, that was a disappointment for what we'd pulled together. Were you aware of all this? Yeah, I mean, I, I I was aware of it, but ignoring it at the same time, in my mind, like this is you know you're our guest, and I want to give you every opportunity to 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 comment on this. Just interrupt any second, but <laughs> in my mind, that uh, I lost all confidence in this becoming what Dad wanted it to be when he died. It, it was never we could try, and we had a hell of a '04 was awesome. I mean, won six races, cars were fast, cars got power, we're winning plate races and all the things. I mean, on paper, we had good success. But I just knew that it was, without him here to help us keep that vision heading in that direction, we just weren't going to hit that target. We might end up over here or close or over here, but it wasn't going to be exactly what he had thought, right, and what he wanted. And all of us wanted his his common sense the yeah. street smarts was so helpful for me in my life my personal life your personal mm-hmm. life um he just helped you make sure you're not to you know put your foot in a bucket of <laughs> and you know we all missed that and i knew we were going to make mistakes and and i didn't know how long we could sustain the momentum we had and the sponsorship support that we had and the relationships that we had created that was all going to be harder to keep we just just kept going forward and yeah. if that meant, you know, whatever that meant, right? And yeah. it, it was like it was like it's like we were propelled. Yes, we were cast out. We were right? propelled right from the launch. We were launched from the pad, yeah. and it was like <laughs> yeah. we're gonna go for a while. And we went 2002, 2003, 2004, yeah. and it was like eventually we're gonna come back to Earth. Yes, because we didn't have any more fuel. That's right. You know, it's and, like a rocket. Yeah, exactly. And Shot so, up there. But because we had a tremendous amount of on track success, um, mm-hmm. despite ourselves. After Dale passed away, and that's sure. why I tell people, like, man, we, we actually did a lot of great things after he passed, but it was not sustainable. No. And 
and I, and I'm talking about myself personally, cause I've had a lot of days in the mirror, you know, personally and professionally I had a lot of days in the mirror. And I look back on some of the things I did. I'm like, I would have punched myself. I think I was a total at the time. And I, it was an ego thing. It was like, I'm like, we're going to do this. And I would pound my fist and say, damn it, this is how we're going to do it. And everybody's uh, like, yeah. Yeah. She's like, who are you? Shut up. Like, and then I'm like, well, what? And, you know, and then I would bow yeah. up. And, then, and so I've always told people, I said, I said if, 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 I, if you're nice to me, I'm nicer to you. Yeah, yeah. If you're mean to me, I'm meaner, meaner to, to you. You, yeah. you punch me, I'll punch you harder. Yeah. And I don't know why I'm that way. I'm just built that way. Yeah. And when people were coming at me, I was like, I was bowed up. Yeah. And then people were like, what the I remember that, that. I remember that. You were, um, and it was, it was, you're right. It's exactly, it, it was in your personality. I don't know how much you've changed, or I'm sure mm-hmm. everybody changes and, and becomes better versions of themselves, I hope. But I remember that. Like, I remember going into your office and having some of the best conversations mm-hmm. and feeling like, man, we are on the same damn page. We're, we both got the same feeling about this. And then I remember days going into your office and going, this couldn't have ground, the gear, gears couldn't have ground any harder yeah. against each other. Like right? we're right. pulling against each other. Yeah. And, uh, and you, you were, uh, I think you were, I kind of felt bad for you because there were some times when, you felt like the whole place was against you. Mm-hmm. Then you had, you know, you had this, you had Teresa over the top of all of it, <laughs> kind of making things difficult to understand. Didn't know, yeah. you know, it was just she was. Uh, I, you probably had her ear all the time, but so maybe, but maybe you didn't. I don't know. But it, the information from her and and what direction she wanted this to go, she wasn't as open about that as Dad yeah, was. Right. right, Dad was. Here's my vision, everybody. Yeah. Everybody on the same page, and Teresa wasn't stand up in front and 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 tell a story, right? Yeah. And and tell us what what's about to happen. Yeah, um, she was behind the curtain and and quiet, <laughs> literally. Yes, <laughs> literally behind the curtain. And so, I know you had her, you had more conversations with her, but anyhow, it was it was hard. And I know this isn't doing a good job of describing it, but there were days when I'd walk into your office, and it was a freaking mood in there was bad. so bad yeah yeah but then there were days when it was complete opposite yeah you know and it's i i, I remember them very well and i i um because i'd hear all the whining and complaining and all this kind of stuff that's yeah. going on some of it was about you and not paying attention and mm-hmm. not being around not yeah. doing this and being out partying or whatever, whatever they were wanting to about that day and so who was going to be who was going to be the guy who had to say something to you yeah right. it had to be me yeah and so I mean, Colin Powell said one time, if you're going to ever be a leader, you're going to be, you're going to piss off more people than you make happy and you have to do that. Right. So I had to take that risk to be that way. The problem I have, I had even with myself, I didn't have the credibility to do it. Like I had it when your dad was there because they knew I was sort of doing what he wanted and I, and I had that credibility and everything was built. But when he was gone, it wasn't like I had Teresa, no. you know, it wasn't like I was speaking on behalf of the ownership. I was, it was like me, right? Yeah. I mean, like, and it could blow it off pretty easily. Yeah. And then, you know, the, probably the biggest event we had was when you and Michael came to my office one time and said, it was December, it was right the day of the Christmas party of 03. Do you know this story? No. <laughs> you guys came to my office and you're like, we've been talking last night, we were talking last night and we haven't been paid since September. Ugh. You remember that now? Uh-uh. He said, we haven't been paid since September, and you get, you guys have breached my contract. And I'm like, whoa, 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 time out. And they're like, how come you haven't paid me? And I'm like, well, I sign all these, every operational check except for one account, and that account pays you guys. And that's Teresa. And 
and you're like, well, I want to talk to her right now. And you were mad as hell. And I'm like, I don't know. And you're like, well, I'm going to go out and find out what, what I'm really worth. And you had just signed your deal. You had just signed an extension. And I'm like, just through 07 or something, I'm like, just calm down. We'll get this worked out. So let's call, let's call Teresa and get her down here. This is probably like 11 in the morning. So we call Teresa's office, call the house, and an hour goes by. And you're getting madder. And then they're like, and she's like, well, Judy, when's she coming down? Well, be 30 more minutes. And we waited another hour. So you were getting mad. So you left. And you, you and Michael, Michael and Richie Gilmore were there. And I came back. Well, then finally I said, listen, do not attack her. Don't, do not make this personal when she shows up. This is a contractual issue. Yeah. This is business, right? So I went on my computer and I typed up I bullet points of things I wanted you to say. And say it in this way. All right? Be ready. Because when she comes in here, just like have a professional conversation. Yeah. We're like, all right, cool. She finally shows up. We waited three hours. She walks in, and Junior is so mad, he starts yelling at her. <laughs> Been waiting down here for three damn hours, and he just starts jumping her, jumping her case, and he's like, y'all haven't paid me, and you breached my contract, and that's how the conversation started. And I was like, oh, and it, and, I, and I'm trying to like mediate, but it was, it was, it was over, and it just became like it was bitter. And so this whole meeting left, and you said what you wanted to say, and you didn't want to stick around any longer. You had stayed long enough, and you left. And I, and I was sat there, and Michael didn't say a word. And he and, he and Richie left. And Therese looked at me and said, you ambushed me. Mm. And oh, like, Lord. Yeah, she goes, you ambushed me. And I said, Teresa, I did not. I said, I'm trying, to, I'm trying to resolve an issue. I don't have access to pay these guys. She was just like, you just, she goes, you care more about Dale Jr. than you care about me. And I said, caring about Dale Jr. is caring about you. And, and she made a comment. She goes, well, if Dale Jr. doesn't want to stick around here, we'll make another Dale Jr. And I was like, do you speak French? Who's we? <laughs> like, <laughs> like, there's not another Dale Jr. Jeff Gordon can't do it. There's no one can do it. Like, we, we have to t- resolve this issue. And she was so mad at me that she didn't talk to me for another month until she said, you can sign this paper or this paper. One is a termination, or one's a, you can quit, and the other one is you can take a rejection. And I, it was all over. A reduction? Was, yeah, like a thir- 67% reduction in, in, in salary. You? Yeah. And she 67%? Said, 67%. She was knocking me down to less than I made when I first started there. And she said, you can sign one of these two. And I'm like, this is over the, you know, for this meeting with we had with the drivers. And she was like, I've been, I've, been, I've been hearing so much stuff lately. I just don't want to hear, talk to you anymore. And I lost my, my cool, and it, it made it worse. And they, so anyway, that's, that was the end. That, I was you left. I, just said, I said, I'll, I'll be here until we load them up to go to the Daytona 500, and we load them up through the Daytona 500. It'll be my last day. Oh, my God. Yeah. That was an, and, that was, and it was all she thought I ambushed her. And so I, was, I, I kind of – Damn. <laughs> hey, damn. W- w- without that, though, how long yeah. do you think you would have lasted at DEI? Without that incident – I mean, it sounds like ever since 2001 at Daytona, like everything was it's, just trying to go in auto, you know, auto yeah. mode. But yeah. did you think the end for you was near? I felt a lot of tension. I, I, I felt like we could have been together a long time. Um, and what gave me some hope was when in September of that year of 03, Junior signed his contract. Mm-hmm. And I got called to Teresa's office by Teresa. And Junior was in there, and I think Kelly was in there. Were we hollering, screaming? No. <laughs> you were signing your contract. You were happy. You were signing your contract, and Teresa said, Junior is signing his contract, and he said there's a few people around here that he want to make sure we're going to be here, and you're one of them. 
And I was like, I'm never going anywhere. I, you will have to drag me out of here. And they did. But, I mean, you'll have to drag me out of here. And they, they didn't really. I, I, I walked myself out of there. But, yeah, but I was like, but I felt like it. But I was right. like, I, I'm, I'm not going anywhere, man. And, and, I, and I, I just, my, my heart for that place was more than I had. I gave more to that place than I gave to my family. I didn't go to a lot of kid stuff. I didn't, I wasn't home a lot. I was gone every weekend and I was just like, that place meant everything. And, and, and sometimes the people say, listen, you got to honor the living more than the dead. And I was just honoring that, man. I was trying so hard and so hard that I think I just, I wasn't, I wasn't old enough. I wasn't mature enough to handle what had been dropped on us. And I don't think any of us were. And um, I certainly was. And so, so anyway, and then when all that went down, you know, I was like, ah, it'll be all right. We'll talk it out. And then everybody was like, all right, move on. So tough day. Yeah. You know, we, we jumped right to the splintering into the bad stuff. And I, I'm curious because to help me put into context of how bad it was and, and you guys going through this. We skipped all over the good stuff. When was it at its best? When w- and, and I'm assuming it's pre-2001, of course. So no, I, is it 2000? Is it 99? When, and, and also, was Dale's vision... Yeah. Did, did... I mean, when you talked about his vision, when he first had a conversation with you, he's like, we'll figure it out when we get there. Yeah. What was Dale's vision for the place? Did it get achieved? And was there any room in this vision for DEI to succeed well beyond his existence at it? Yeah, I, um, yeah, for sure. I, I, I did worry about what he would be like as an owner not driving um, because he liked to be involved in everything. And I was like, I don't want to call it meddling, but he definitely was involved in everything. So I was all worried. I'm like, if he gets bored, boy, he's going to be hard on us. But as far as the best times, the the sport was on this trajectory, and we were right at the front of that wave and we were catching, we were catching the Hendricks of the world and we were catching the, the, the big teams of the era and Roush was kicking ass every time you turned around at the time. And we were right there with them and we were coming, coming on their heels and we were, we were like, we, we are building something really special here. And the problem we had with it is we never realized it. Mm. We only realized it like looking back is more so than when we were living it. And that happens probably to a lot of, a lot of things, a lot of different times, but we didn't know how good we had it. And then I don't think our best years were leading up to it. I mean, we were, we, we, we went to Daytona 500 for Steve Park in 1998, and we did not get an engine until after third round qualifying when we got Dave Marcus's RCR engine. We, we qualified with an engine that couldn't make 10 laps. Wow. And we, we couldn't even practice. And then we ended up, we were qualifying in the back. We had to run third round qualifying with Dave Marcus's engine after he got done with it. I mean, that's how bad we were trying to get started. And so I would say, I mean, the, the golden years were really, I mean, I mean, 2001, 2002, 2002, really, three. I mean, we were on the trajectory and doing really well, bringing on new partners, bringing on new sponsors, um, making, you know, extending them. And honestly, I mean, I think we ran 11 speedway races and won eight of them, finished first and second, four of them. Mm-hmm. And then we just kind of piled everything else around it and you started winning at richmond and started winning at phoenix and started we started getting competitive in other places and so anyway i i, I don't know the golden era was before 
Dale's accident. But I think that's when the root system accident. was being yeah. put in. I mean, like, I think yeah. you guys were probably were experiencing the ramifications of all the buildup from 99, yeah. uh, 2000, yeah. 2001. He, he shows up as a rookie, sets the world on fire, got the big sponsor. Yeah. So you guys, it sounds like you were able to carry that out for several years. We it, were, and I, and I think what it, it, it actually probably created this sense of – we were probably a little too high on our horse. We Did probably thought it was too easy. We thought we thought we had it all covered. You thought you were invincible. We were totally invincible, and 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 so we were invincible on and off the track. So I mean, we'd go do stuff off the track that we wouldn't be proud of today. I mean, me personally, I would wouldn't be proud of it today. And then I was, you know, it's like you're in town, Dale Earnhardt Incorporated. You're the big you're the big cheese. You're the big news, and. Well, then we go to the racetrack and race like hell and be competitive, win races, and we'd be like, "Yep, yeah, we're the we're the guys." And it led it really, really, really fueled the egos across the board, whether it was the engine shop or the fab guys or me and everybody. So it just kind of it, it it sort of our success started getting to our heads collectively, to where everybody was smarter than everybody else, and it yeah. just created created ultimately created some problems. Who was the leader? Then is it you? Well, or, or, it does everybody be. agree? With I that? remember talking to Mr. France, uh, Bill Jr. Mike Helton asked me to come to his office, and I went to see him and Mr. France. When was this? Um, this was in 03, so three, and we went into his office, and Mike and I were talking about what's going on at DEI, what's going on with Teresa, what's happening at the place, and who's leading it. And I told him a few stories, and he goes, "We got to go see Bill." So we go into Mr. France's office, and we're sitting there, and I had never been in his office before. And I sat there, and he starts asking me these questions. Tell me about it. Tell me about it. Tell me about it. Oh, really? Really? Uh-huh. Yeah, that's great. And then he goes, well, I don't know why you're about That's your job. And I'm like, oh. He goes, well, then that's you. Mm. It's not Teresa. That's not Steve. That's not somebody else. That's not Junior. That's, a, that's you. So why don't you do your job? And I was like, yes, sir. Damn. I was, yes, sir. And so I, st- I tried to stop complaining and just do what I could do and try to be the leader, try to be the leader. And that's when I'd go to those rooms, those competition meetings, and everybody was talking about all this kind of stuff. And I'm like, well, this is how we're going to do it. And they're like, yeah, you know, <laughs> see ya. Yeah. You know, and, and so I, I mean, I just took it too far, I guess. And, and, uh, but I remember was, that. I remember right. when you came in, you completely changed your approach. Yeah. And it was more like, you're gonna try to wheel it into existence, right? Yeah, you're, yeah, yeah. You yeah. pound the pound the desk. And I remember pounding the desk with the old conference table one time. I remember pounding. It. I was like, as long as I'm in this position, this is what it's gonna happen. And everybody's like, uh huh. Oh, it's probably not gonna be long then. <laughs> <laughs> My gosh. So when you got when you left, where did yeah. you go? Uh, so NASCAR was actually building. Actually, when I left, I went to work for Bruton Smith. Doing yeah. what? Yeah, <laughs> doing what? I still don't know. And that's why I left. <laughs> So Bruton grabbed. We had grabbed dinner in Daytona, and he and we. I was talking to a couple of different groups about. And I was talking to Richard. I was talking to Chip Ganassi. I was talking to different people. And um, Bruton said, "Marcus is going to take over this company. I really want him to know a lot more about what happens in the garage. I really want you to spend some time with him. I really want to work on some special projects. And I've got this licensing company over here that I can do some things with. And I'm thinking about some other businesses. And I'm thinking about all this stuff. And I'm thinking. I mean, he had all these ideas, and he goes, "I want you to help me put all this stuff together." And then he told me, he said, eventually, he said, I want you to learn our side of the business because when Humpy Wheeler retires, I want you to, I want you to think about that, that role. And I was like, oh, my God. Like, Humpy's a legend. And I'm like, 
okay. And that was the conversation. And I went to work for them under that, under that guidance. Right. And, and I had a conversation with Humpy one day and he was like, I'm going to be here for uh, 10 more years. And like, I don't know what anybody's talking about. Yeah. <laughs> He's like, I'm never leaving. And then, and I, and I was, I had a real struggle. I was trying to pull SMI presidents together. I mean, trying to make them do, you know, sort of a, you know, aggregate their power. They didn't want to hear it. You know, Sonoma doesn't want to hear about Texas and Texas didn't want to hear about Atlanta. And I was, yeah. so I was just, I mean, for weeks, I, I mean, months, actually, I was just kind of, and so finally, and I, I'll tell you the deal, he gave me half my salary up front and he said, I'll give you the other half at the end of the year. And I went to him and said, um, I want you to take your stock options back and I want you to take, not ever pay me that dime. I didn't owe, I didn't earn that money. I said, in one of these days, I'll probably pay you back the money you paid me. Mm. And he was like, why? And I was just like, I don't, I didn't contribute. I don't feel like I did much. I feel like I was just spending my time. And then, you know, Michael called me and he was like, Toyota's coming and I really want to be part of that. And he's like, do you want to come talk about that? And I did. And so I moved on down the road. Um, I loved my interaction with Bruton. I think Marcus Smith is one of the nicest human beings ever born to this earth. He is. And I'd do anything in the world for that guy. And I really enjoyed my time around them to get to know him personally. I just never contributed professionally, I didn't think. Not like I was sure. used to. Th- then you went right to Michael's? Yeah. And I had, I had about – What year did you start working for Michael? Oh, five. So, okay. Dang. Yeah. Are you looking over at DEI and watching what's going on there? Yeah. Oh, yeah. 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 What are you thinking? We talked about that a lot. And and I always try to tell people Because Michael's now out of DEI. Yeah. He's You're out, out of DEI. Yeah. And in that first 06, we ended up doing a deal with Bill Davis because we transitioned Napa for a year until we got into the Toyota stuff. And um, I, remember, uh, I remember paying attention to your stuff a lot. And watching a lot of these things go down, and if you remember, Paul Menard had started, and he brought a ton of money, and they didn't have points, and they were missing races, and we were all all of us were missing races at the time, and and I remember uh, Max Siegel came over and John Story. And Max he, was the CEO at DEI yeah, at the time. Yeah, and he came over to DEI, and he's like, "I'm gonna have all this autonomy. I'm gonna run this company, right?" And he came up to me at Pocono, actually, a weird place, but. And he was like, you and I need to talk. And I was like, I've been wanting to talk to you for a long time. And I said, man, I, I, but I'm, I'm not going to say anything bad. I mean, I'll, I'll listen to what you got, what you're dealing with, but I'm not going to say anything bad. I, I, I just, I've, I've said enough. Yeah. So we had a conversation. I listened to it and then I tried to give him some advice against it. And, um, and, but he was telling me what was going on and they ended up buying MB2 Motorsports. That's right. And they bought MB2 Motorsports to help get points for the 15 for Paul Menard. And then they didn't extend the Menards deal. They should have extended it two or three years. Yeah. And they didn't do it. And so you left in 06, at the end of 06, right? At the 07. end of 07. At the end of 07. And then Menards left, the ne- I think it was May the next year, and that was it. I mean, DEI was gone. And I had said it, I had, when I was young, when Teresa and I got into our big fight in 04, I was like, if you don't change the way you are doing business right now, you will be out of business in three years. What was the hiring of Max and John her attempt at trying to change the business? I think so. I mean, look, Teresa was trying everything she could. I, 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 I'm, not, I'm not saying – I mean, she was trying to do everything she could. She, she didn't want that spot. Yeah. She didn't ask for that spot. She didn't ask to become the owner to have, to have all this responsibility. She didn't want to have to have people mad at her. She didn't want that. But it just came on her because 
this treadmill is going about 20 miles an hour. And if your little legs aren't going, man, you're going to get spit right off the back. And, and like it's people just don't want to do that all the time. And so I, I get I, I was frustrated with her at the time. But if I took myself and put her in that spot, I mean, she never got asked to be in that role. I understand that, and I've always felt that way too. That she never, this was never her wish to be in this position and as the owner of that team. But she also didn't like release the, the control and right. the power mm-hmm. to someone that could yeah. run it. Yeah, she did have a, she did have a struggle with that, and and I'm and trust, I, I, she didn't I, trust anybody. But I'm and I'm gonna tell you why she didn't trust anybody, because there were individuals in that company who spent a lot of time with Teresa at her house on vacations, telling her. You can't trust anybody. Yeah, and she and she was influenced by that, and I would blame them just as much as anybody else. Yeah. Wow. Interesting. So, so in the early years, I mean, like you think that she changed. You don't think that this like territorialism or this, uh, you know, trust issues was something that she was born with. This wasn't who she was. You think it's developed by getting quote unquote bad advice. You know, I. I don't. I, I didn't know her, her whole life, so I don't know if she ever had trust issues before. I just know with the time that I spent with her, all those years we would go down the boat, all those years building that company. She was the sweetest human being to me, and she was always great, and she was so gracious, and she knew I was a lieutenant. I wasn't trying to be a general. I was trying to be a lieutenant. I want to be a, the best lieutenant you ever saw in your life, and that's all I ever wanted to be. And then. And I think she loved her role. Like she would have her input and she could go do her thing and she'd have her input. And then I think that role overwhelmed her in addition to losing her husband, in addition to trying to figure out life, in addition to trying to figure out kids, in addition to trying to figure out 300 people and keeping them fed and all the foundation stuff that was being like all these things. And so I think her, her whole universe came down to Judy and Pat Laguerre, Yeah, you know, and those were her friends who she knew she could trust and everybody else was sort of up in the air. Mm. And it, it, and I, I think the whole circumstance sort of just led her that way. But I mean, she was incredibly nice to me for years. One of the other things I think that was, um, a big, big, big part of her every day was the autopsy photos. Yeah, she had to go right into a fight. Yeah, and that consumed a ton of her time in the, I don't know how many years after Dad died. Yeah. She was traveling regularly to be in the right rooms to try to fight that battle. Yeah. And that seemed pretty critical to her. I didn't realize at the time how important it was, but... uh yeah. Um, she was like you say. She had that going on. Dad's late, you know, all of all of the things that just sort of fell into her lap, unracing related dealership, mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. all the businesses, the that, boat, the house yeah. that didn't hadn't been finished. The boat was almost oh, yeah. finished, and people were like, "What are you going to do with the boat?" I don't know what I'm going to do with the boat. I, you know, she was yeah. she had a lot of stuff going on, and when she needed more people, she made it less. Oh, and so I used to call her up and I'd say, "Hey, I need about I need about thirty minutes with you today." She's like, well, I can't see today. I'm like, all right. Well, a couple of days go by. I'm like, hey, I need about an hour with you now. And then finally, she'd come in there. And go. She'd, go, she'd fling the door open. She goes, you got 10 minutes. Yes. I'm like, I said, go find somebody else that needs 10 minutes because I need about two hours now. Yep. <laughs> I'm like, you need to go find someone. She goes, you're such a smart ass. And I'm like, I'm just telling you, we, there's no, I, can't even, I can't even set up the story in 10 minutes yeah. to tell you to get a decision. <laughs> so, yeah. you know, it was, it was tough on her, man. I, 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 I looked at it. It's Everybody, and the, the thing I'm most proud of, and I've said this to Dale Jr. a thousand times, like when I first saw you on the couch <laughs> all the way to when you started driving for us to when 
I'm going to tell you the story about when I had to wrestle you up out of bed to go take accept Dale's most popular driver award. Yeah. Oh, yeah. Every, I'll everybody's, tell you that got, say, yeah. everybody's got a story like that. <laughs> <laughs> and uh, to your racing career and what switched, what the, the, the switch that went off when you went to Hendrick yeah. and the switch that went off when you met Amy, like all those things, man. Every time I see you, I'm like, that guy is a model, a role model. Oh, shoot. I'm telling I'm telling you. For, for becoming a man, because we've all had our days where yeah. we're sitting there running around and we think we're better than everybody else and we think we're smarter than everybody else. And certainly, you know, I disrespectful to my own marriage, all these things that I was all those years, like I didn't care. I was just out partying, having a good time. And then finally you look back and you're like, man, there's a transition time in your life where you go like this, more important things are these things. And I've seen that in you, and it's like, I, and I'm not trying to just be blowing. Some, I mean, like I, li- I grew up with you, you know. And so, like I, when you say I hope people change, I look back in my DEI days, and I'm like, I wish I had seasoning. Mm. Yeah, and you had the seasoning, so you could go back in there and go handle situations differently instead of attacking, absorbing, you yeah. know. And those things are only learned with time and experience. Yeah, no, I'd I'd love to do it all over again because we could have done it definitely. We could have done it better. Yeah. Um, we could have made it last. But um, so what was that in New York City? <laughs> yeah. So <laughs> I had a couple of New York City. This is so funny. So uh, I. New York City was a bad town no, for you. it wasn't. Yeah. So I'm, there was a bar down there called. At the hotel? Well, no. In New York, New York City in the meatpacking district. Oh, um, Hogs and Heifers. Yeah, Hogs and Heifers. Yeah. Schrader. All you had to say. Petrie yeah, and all right. them are like, hey. Tonight's the night. Hogs and heifers, we're going. You going? You going? I'm like, sure, I'm going. Yeah. Jump in our cab. Here, I'm getting in your cab. Yeah. And they leave at 2 o'clock in the morning like they're supposed to, and I stay right. until 6 or 7 in the morning. There, If I remember this correctly, there is a – the morning – that was when they had the Myers, Myers Brothers, Brothers breakfast. breakfast. Right. 8 o'clock in the morning. Right. Painful. <laughs> right. Like, awful. I literally haven't been back to the hotel but for an hour. Yeah. And he came up to get me. So, so I'm in. I'm at the breakfast, and I'm I'm a little rough from the night before too. But I'm sitting there, and so all those years that we knew Dale Senior should have won the most popular driver award, he didn't. Yeah, Bill won it. Bill Elliott won it every year, and so Dale never won it. And so he gets it posthumously. So he gets it 2001. Bill laid out of the vote. That's right. Yeah. And I forgot about that. And so. Dale wins the award. So they're like, we need Dale Jr. to accept it. <laughs> and so there's a couple of things about this. Now, we rewind the clock to earlier in the year after Dale's accident, and I had sponsor after sponsor who were working with Dale come in and say, well, what are we going to do now? Oreo, Remington, you know, uh, not the Goodwrench guys, but the Burger King guys. And they're like, well, we need Dale Jr. And every time you turn around, Dale Jr. was having to carry – what was just left by Dale. And so, and he's like, man, the only reason why you guys want me is because Dale's not, dad's not here. The only reason why you want me. And like, it wasn't like, I'm not, I'm not your guy. You're not my sponsor. You know, it was, it was like a fight. It was always like, and they were like, hey, well, you need to come do this uh, interview to talk about your dad. And like all this, shit, right? And Dale Jr. was like over it. Mm-hmm. So we get to New York, you got to go take this award, man. You need to accept this award for your dad. And he was just like, I'm not doing it. And so they're all for the breakfast, and they start the stuff. And I look at, I think it was Jade Gers, and I'm like, or Steve Chris, one of those two, and I'm like, hey, man, where's Junior? 
he's in the bed and he says he's not coming down. <laughs> and I was like, what? What? And I'm like, we ha- he has to. And I'm like, give me a key because they had a key to your room. Yeah. So I go in there. I open up the door. Everywhere, <laughs> Junior had a like I don't know what a bomb would have gone off, and he's sitting in bed, and and we get into an argument, and I'm like, I you got to go, yeah. we got to go right now. He's like, I'm not doing it, I'm not doing it, and I'm not going to use your vernacular. But he's like, you doing it? so he's like, I'm not doing it, I'm not going. And then he starts talking. All, then he he brings up all the stuff that he's had to do, and I'm like, I get it. And I said, your dad will only win this award one time. There's only one person in the world in this earth that can accept that award. On his behalf. It's not me. It's not anybody else. It's you. And I said, you will live to regret it if you don't get up out of this bed and go downstairs and accept this award. And if you don't want to do it, that's up to you. And I, I just remember it clear as day. I said, that's up to you. Because I, I put, it, put it on you, and then I turned around and I walked out. Yeah. And about 20 minutes later, here comes bloodshot eyes, mm-hmm. a suit, <laughs> unshaven, which doesn't mean anything now because he's got a beard. But he's unshaven, <laughs> and he's, like, wrecked. <laughs> And he comes up, and I'm like, we're like tapping, you know, like going, yeah, he's here because they they push the award till late. And he goes upstairs, up there, and he had one of the most eloquent speeches. <laughs> I swear to God, it was awesome, and it was awesome. He spoke for like three minutes about the award. He came <laughs> off the stage. He went upstairs, and I swear, in the elevator, you could see the jacket coming off and the clothes coming off because he got to his room and he was out. He was out, Back to, to, bed. out to the banquet. That's, that speech written by Hog and Heifer. Oh my god! <laughs> well, uh, oh my god. yeah, I remember being. Uh, that was that was an argument. Yeah. NASCAR history and heritage come alive at the NASCAR Hall of Fame. Celebrate my fellow inductees Donnie Allison, Jimmy Johnson, and Chad Knauss with their class of 2024 artifacts enshrined in the Hall of Honor. Don't miss the Ford Performance Showcase. It's a new inside NASCAR exhibit that showcases the Ford Mustang's next-gen car through its design and innovation. The latest edition of Glory Road explores over 75 years of racing history, with its cool 33-degree banking and 19 cars on display. On Mondays and Fridays, there's guided tours that take you behind the scenes with incredible stories and access to a NASCAR Hall of Fame insider. Or you can explore the hall at your own pace with the new mobile hub. It's a digital experience. Get behind the wheel of a realistic iRacing simulator. Or you can learn how fast-paced pit stops work with the Pit Crew Challenge. From the legends who shaped the sport to the new heroes earning a spot in the record books, the NASCAR Hall of Fame delivers an unforgettable experience. Book your visit to the hall today at nascarhall.com. There's so many things I want to ask you, Ty, and they're all over the place. So I, we're, we're out of order at this point. Let me. <laughs> can I just go back and ask, because we do need to tackle a couple other maybe MWR moments. All right, let's do it. But before I told we you go nothing that, was off, off limits. I think that. I know where you're going. No, no, no. Before that, <laughs> I want to go back to the 2001 Daytona 500 before the accident. Yeah. Dale Jr., like you were in a... I don't think people really appreciate the situation you would have been in mm-hmm. as Dale Jr. spotter, yeah. but also as a lieutenant at DEI with Michael Waltrip having just arrived. Yeah. And now you're on the last lap. Michael, who's never won... Dale Jr., who's in second, who you're his spotter. Do you recall, before all the, the yeah. turmoil happened, yeah. what's going on in your head, and how was Dale Jr. going to pass Michael for the, for the win? Yeah, um, I, I know there's a, it's historically um, accurate that, that we had a lot of meetings about how this is going to go down, and Dale did talk a lot about us drafting together and getting to the end. 
I never anticipated that he wouldn't make a move. I, I didn't think Dale – I, I was I, even though Junior was right there and we were coming down a couple laps ago, I still thought Dale would make a move because, I mean, you know, that's him, right? So um, I'm really – watching that because just like junior says man i saw in your interviews i don't want to make a mistake dad's right there watching me and i'm i'm like i can't i, I don't want to make a mistake as a spotter and like block and then next thing you know we're all crashing and he's like what the hell so like i'm nervous just like he is about making the wrong move because of who was behind us and but i was expecting a move and um and when i saw this hornet's nest coming i knew it was going to be down to just the two of us and for as a spotter you know, all you can do is feed the information, tell him what's going on, who's got the runs or whatever kind of stuff or where, you know, high, low, whatever. Um, and I, and I'm going to say this and I'm almost embarrassed to say it out loud. When they started getting loose and spinning, it took the pressure off immediately to have to make a decision about Dale. And I was like, Oh, we're going to win. We're going to finish first and second. So for me as a spotter, I wanted to win, but I was the story about Michael was big, right? So like I was like, "Oh, man, that sucks." But for that one split second, it's like we didn't have to make a decision to block Dale. Mm. And then the, then the race is over and it as everybody sees it, I mean, you're like, "Man, he's going to be mad." But you walk away from that. I all I can remember saying and thinking was like Dale's going to be so happy. Mm -hmm. And I just couldn't wait for that moment, and which, of course, never came. But um, I was nervous for Junior. I was nervous for the company. But I was really nervous to not make the mistake that Dale, Junior always talks about. I don't want to make a mistake when Dale's got to run and he's got people shoving him. And what do you do? Right. So, the, like the example of 2000 Talladega when – you know, yeah, yeah. Skinner's yeah, I mean, up there leading. Yeah. Skinner's leading, Junior second, and Dale's coming. We thought, thought he was coming, but he wouldn't make. He wouldn't move to block him. Front of <laughs> I'm like, here he comes. You get to the top, you know, move, and he was like, I'm good. <laughs> I'm good. Y'all go. You go on. <laughs> oh, thank you for answering that. I've always wanted to know that about uh, that. You know, your approach to that now MWR. Obviously, we the the, the big consp conspiracy. What do you call that? Well, when you think about the, the situation one? at Richmond, which one? <laughs> the, yeah, the Richmond and, and yeah. The, the team orders and stuff that ultimately led to your suspension. Yeah, uh, I'm I'm curious ultimately to know if you felt like the suspension was just and fair. But what I want to know is that, like you know your perspective, your vantage point leading up to it. So I'm actually glad you brought that up. I, I I've avoided talking about it too much, but um, you know. There were three or four things going on at the same time that were seemed connected that were not connected. And if they were connected, it would have been a lot cleaner. I would say the same thing I said to Mike Helton and those guys when I sat down in the meetings. That, oh, they were like, tell me what happened at Richmond. I'm like, which part? Because okay. you're going to have to talk to each different group. Because if you listen to the radio and you watch what happened, it wasn't like we all had all this planned out. So I'll tell you exactly what I did. What I did was... Knowing the situation going into the the race, um, watching the points and seeing how everybody was moving, maneuvering around, and I saw things that were going on with one particular company that I thought was really weird. And I mean, I thought there was one driver in the Hendrick Group that was acted like he was blown up all day and getting out of the gas at start finish line. I'm like, that's weird. And then you start watching all this stuff, and then you see who's up there on the spotter stand and tapping on this guy, and you see, you know, there's all the all the majors 
are all sitting up there and like they're trying to like work out, maneuver everything, and you see it. It's all year long. And so I'm sitting there and caution came out with however many laps to go, and I'm spotting for Brian Vickers. Now I've got channel two, NASCAR, MRN, channel one, and a digital radio. <laughs> I'm listening to I got all these voices in my head and and I'm and, and so everybody's like, oh, you're on the 15 I, I I couldn't get to it if I wanted to. So I'm sitting there. Here's what happened. Caution comes out. We're sitting there. Leaders come down pit road. There's like six, seven laps to go. And I'm like, we're a lap down. And we take the wave around with Brian Vickers. So right when they're coming to, to get ready to come around the corner, we take the wave around with Brian. And I see Logano is in front of us. And then as soon as I see him coming around, I look up at the scoreboard and it says Jeff Gordon in by one point, Logano out by one point. And I'm like, well, I need Logano had two wins, and if he has his two wins drops to eleventh, he makes he makes the playoffs and Truex gets knocked out. So I'm like, it's a one point difference. And I'm like, well, how is the twenty two in front of us but behind us on the rundown? Mm. And it all happened while we were waving around. Mm-hmm. And I looked at the scoreboard and I saw what was going on. I'm like, oh, shit. he was two laps down coming to one down. Logano mm-hmm. was. And we were two to one. I'm like, we need to get that lap back. And so I'm like, because I don't know who he's racing. I don't have time to go, oh, I wonder who he's racing this lap. I didn't have time. So we were coming around going into turn one to catch the back of the field. I'm like, Brian, I need you to pit. He's like, what? Yeah. I'm like, I need you to pit. I need you to pit right now. And he was like, I don't understand. Well, by this time, the leaders now are going in turn three. You know how the, lead, the green drops in the middle of three and four. And I'm like, green flag, green flag, but I need you to pit. And he's like, I don't understand. Do I have a tire going on? What's going on? And I was just like, I need you to pit right now for a point. And when I said that, it was like the SWAT team <laughs> was pointed. All the red lasers were on my throat, my heart, my brain, and it was brain matter everywhere. Yeah. And, and so he was like, oh, okay. So then he comes down, and, and it's just a, it's a mess. Mm-hmm. And so after the race, I'm like, and so I was like, holy, shit, we pulled it off. Then I got approached by another owner who came over and said, hey, what I, you know, that just worked, didn't it? Worked really well, didn't it? And I looked at him and I'm like, what are you talking about? And I later found out what they were doing. And I'm like, all this shit was going on up there, all maneuvering around that same freaking point. And I knew that I had said it on the radio. And I knew that was bad news. So I hated that not everybody got in trouble. Yeah, just y'all. But I got slaughtered. I got yeah, filleted. Yeah. I got. I watch television. And I'm like, I'm the only guy in the world who's ever. Done. I'm like, I was pissed. And but the but but Michael and Rob came to me and they were like, shut up, just shut up, mm. and just let it go. And and it was hard for me because it it was it was a, there was a lot and it was personal attacks and it was, I mean, it was professional attacks and personal attacks and i'm watching ryan mcgee going marty smith sitting there like ty norris never working this garage again he'll never be around this garage again and i'm like you have no freaking idea what all was going on and and i thought when some of the other tapes came out i'm like i see everybody's going to get in trouble i was the only one so i'm going to tell you this i applauded as mad as i was and as still mad as i am about it for a company nascar had to do something it was out of control, and I'm, I'm people. I watch people during the season pay for with tires for a guy to come off the racetrack because their guy had trouble. 
go pit, 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 pit. Now I'm going to give you, you know, give you tires. And like, there was so much conversation going on about what they could do for each other. It had to end. And, and I, and, and I, I, as mad as I was that I was the poster boy for it, you know, it, it, it had to end. I was more mad that they gave Jeff the, the, the spot. Like they literally <laughs> made a spot, made a spot for a guy in the playoffs. Yeah. Yeah, I was like, "What in the hell are we doing? This yeah. is like not the way to clean this up. It's like making this whole problem yeah. worse." Yeah, it definitely it, like they didn't know what to do, yeah. right? And so what I was, I knew they were going to come down hard on me, and I knew that others weren't going to come be going to come down as hard on them because they need drivers, right? They need teams. They don't really necessarily need guys like me, and so I have never felt the cold shoulder of the entire industry like I did. And I wanted, I never wanted to walk in that garage again. I never wanted to be around again. I got really bitter and I'm like, I'll just, I'll go work another sport. I'll go, I'll go dig a ditch. I'll go, I'll be a sport writer. I don't give a what I do, but I'm never doing And because I, I wanted to, I wanted to come out and just my back to my point. They were mean to me. I'm going to be meaner to you. You bet you got, you got me. I wait till what I come out with. And, and i I finally got myself zenned out, and I just said, <laughs> "Have you?" Because treat I, this with respect. Yeah, treat it with respect. Um, I made a mistake. Stand up. You, you, I, I said it out loud. Take it and take it in the jaw and keep on moving. And there are a lot of people at NASCAR, including Mr. Fran, Jim France, who pulled me off to the side at the banquet, and he said, "Son, you're going to be okay. Just move on past it." Uh, and if I if I didn't have conversations like that, I probably would. You know, I don't know that I'd been back. What did you do after that? So I mean, I stayed at I stayed at MWR, you know, I, I stayed there, and um, and then I just, you know, I I did all we could do to to put our teams. Hell, we ended up extending contracts with Five Hour, we extended contracts with Aaron's, we ended up, you know, re-signing uh, drivers. I mean, we we were we were selling ourselves back in. The Snow Globe was finally settled again, and we lost Truex and we lost Napa, and and I always told, <laughs> I always told. Uh, Chase Elliott and Bill Elliott, and I see him like it. You know, I had a little something to do with you guys getting nappy. You know that, right? Yeah. <laughs> and uh, but um, but now I just like I feel, I, I and mean, we we started getting our footing under us again. And then you know Brian, um, you know, unfortunately got blood clots, and he started getting blood clots, and and Boyer was a lot left on Boyer, and Boyer was having a tough time being the the you know lead dog on the sled. He was phenomenal teammate phenomenal guy and and uh but like he was the only guy left you know and it just it, it put him in a bad spot and everything just kind of started falling apart from there so what happened where when did you that deal just ends up imploding on itself yeah i mean rob kaufman rob kaufman ended up uh leaving uh taking his investment and taking it over to ganassi and um they ended up uh, he ended up being over there because he loves you know sports cars and IndyCar and things of that nature. So it actually ended up being a better place place for him to yeah. invest anyway. And and so I got recruited to go over to become the president of Spire Motorsports, and I was over at Spire immediately. Mm-hmm. Yeah, yeah. I left. I left MWR. I took December off and started January first with uh, with Spire as the president of Spire, and I was there all the way through um, nineteen. Um, started my own business, and that's when Justin called me. What business did you start? So I started a business because I, I just I was down on NASCAR. Really, I thought you know it was hard to find sponsorships and you know just the way the industry was going, it was hard to justify the ask anymore. And 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 I was starting to get exposed a lot more to some other sports and the music. And so we had just done a big music program with Dirk Bentley, 
and uh, started getting involved with the red light management group over there. And so I started my own business and the first client I got was red light management and Dirks's team. And, um, and so I went to, uh, and I started doing that. And then I was doing, uh, I was consulting work for Aquarius and Mark Bluestein and the guys out of, uh, of, um, uh, Baltimore, Maryland. And so I, I was, I was fine. Uh, and, and then I had a lot of great business to, to do. And, I was like, music is the spot. Music is like racing was in the eighties. I mean, great, great extensions of everything. Great marketers or marketing uh, uh, platforms, but not great you know, sponsorship uh, built out. You know, like like how we do it. So I took. I was going down that path, and then that's when Justin called. Um, actually, TJ Pusher from Spire called me, and he says Justin Marks is looking for you, and let's have a conversation. And I, I ended up having that conversation, and summer of 19 and I've been with Justin ever since. What about your business? I shut it, I, I shut it down because I couldn't do music and this at the same time. You and, sell it or and, uh, shut it down? No, I mean, I just, I mean, it was, it, it was, you're looking at the business, right? You know, the business <laughs> is up here and, yeah. and putting all these programs, the programs together. And we basically, I, 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 I bowed out of the Aquarius thing in the summer, right when Justin came about, cause it was just, I couldn't spend time up in Baltimore. And then uh, when, and then the, the, the January of twenty is when I told the red light guys, I I, I can't be chasing Jake on the lake tour yeah. sponsorships and you know and Luke Bryan farm tour sponsorships and Lady Lady A's uh, tour. I can't do that when I'm trying to build this sure. business over here. And so, um, but when Matt, when uh, Justin said let's move to Nashville, I'm like, I love it because now. Uh, a lot of those relationships that I had built that oh, time yeah. there was like, man, it just makes it pretty natural to be here. So, if you want to start up a race team, call Ty. That, that, that's <laughs> his legacy. Well, I mean, I think it's uh, I think it's interesting because you've seen you've seen them succeed and you've seen them you've seen why they fail. Like you have this sort of oh, we better not do that. Mm-hmm. I've been there before. Let's not try. It. That's a bad step. What do you think would have saved DEI? Your ownership of it. And I, I'm not saying just because you're here, but that's that's been the only thing that would have saved it. You think I was in position to to manage that? No, but I think you'd have brought people in and let them do their jobs. Yeah. That's all it needed. That's all it needed. And um, you know, I still think you would have been able to bring the right people in. And honestly, um, if if I wasn't the right guy, you'd have made that decision, right? But I think that I think that it needed another Earnhardt presence, and with Teresa still being there. Um, if y'all could have worked it out, um, I think DEI would have still existed. It's not unlike, and you may, you may remember this, this way or you don't, but you and Therese were already having some issues and I came to you because we had an opportunity with Bass Pro and I'm like, you guys should start the Bush team. Yeah. Chance to. Yeah. And so we started talking about it and Fred Wagonalls was on board and Fred said, I'll, I'll sponsor your first race. And we had some royalty money that was going to seed it. And we were like, all right. So we started Chance 2 Racing. And that created this partnership with you and Teresa to figure out how you're going to own teams together. Right. right? Mm-hmm. And, and I thought that was one of the better things that we ever did because what I was hoping for you, and this is very much a personal thing, I was hoping you would start to see a little bit more about what it takes to run with these things yeah. and see – why some of the stuff happened, right? Because I'm like, you're just really going to open your eyes to that side. And um, and so I thought Chance 2 was a great opportunity to lead into what 
ultimately should be done, which was, you know, you taking over. But, you know, I think Chance 2 did, did really great things. Um, we ended up, ended up, I, I'm saying it's probably seated, you know, JR Motorsports and look what you guys have done. I mean, you gotta be super proud of what you're doing here, but yeah, I could have been that way. Yeah. I don't think we ever had any, uh, problems together with Chance 2, me and Teresa. Mm-mm. Most of our stuff was driver Soon. owner. Soon. <laughs> yeah. How much yeah. did y'all interact though? Not none. You know, I mean, we, we Chance 2, we, you know, we had this little shop that it ran out of. And, um, I mean, it grew into something a little bit bigger than that when they went full-time racing with Truex. But it was a race team that we I, – I mean, it was a race team that ran itself by the people that ran it, not me. I wasn't hands-on with it. Very much like what we have here. Like, yeah, Kelly's the smarter one of the two of us. <laughs> I let her run run that part. You know, we got Pemberton and LW and, and all the other people, you know, down the down the ladder that – that know what they're doing and can be here every single day. And, and that's the way yeah. that team ran. And Teresa and I never had to disagree or agree on anything. It, you know, everything seemed to come pretty easy with that relationship and chance too. Yeah, it did. That's the way and I remember it. Yeah, it did. And I, I remember exactly the same. And, um, you know, it was very well funded. You yeah. know, we were able to get good funding right out of the bat. And, and unfortunately that was one of those situations when I left in 04, I didn't get to see it through, you know, you got Truex on full time to get to see it through. But, um, but no, I was real proud of it. I was, I was like, we, we helped start it, but you know, what the people in our roles now are people in my role with, with Justin, um, Marks is, is you respect your employees because you know that if you, you hired people to do their jobs, let them do their jobs, um, and provide them with all the resources you can to make them successful. And that's the only, only thing you can do. You don't have to like, I had to, I was so busy micromanaging, uh, at DEI. I ended up, I was signing checks. I was, I was doing the flight itineraries. I was handling the sponsorships. I handled, I did all, every employee at DEI had their employment review done through my office, 300 people. And like, I don't know what the, the guy, you know, you know, the cylinder head guys doing, I don't, I can't, I can't be that guy. And I, but I had, I had all that. I took all that control. I wanted all that. I wanted all that just to make sure everybody could hear it. Right. And, and it's like, it just, as you grow, you go like, you definitely have to delegate and you have to trust those people and, um, and, and, and help resource them. Your answer to Dale's question is interesting because if it would have required Dale Jr. to take over the company, which would have required Dale Jr. and Teresa to have worked together, I can't help but wonder, could that have been possible? And I don't like talking hypotheticals, but could that have been possible had Teresa and Dale Jr. not had to have the friction over working out driver contracts and rights to ownership of your name and, and your likeness and that kind of thing? If you would have removed the driver element of it, mm-hmm. do you think that there could have been a pathway of ownership at DEI. If the respect were there both ways. But it wasn't. It, I, I think it went much deeper than driver and Got it. owner. And, and I think that if, but I saw Junior growing up. I'm not sure she ever saw him growing up. Mm. And, 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 you know, look, I mean, comparing where you were in your life at that time and where Dale was running the company, he can't do that. Well, we we should have given it a chance. That 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 to me seemed more like a you know a, a a personal issue that was coming out in these professional ways. If it wasn't for that, then maybe. But I I think they had some other things they had to work through, and you had to. And I tried to tell Teresa one time. I said, please stop 
looking at Junior like the guy who spilled, you know, grape juice on your white carpet, you know, as a kid. Like, <laughs> please stop doing that. Like, he is a professional race car driver. In fact, he's probably one of the most sought-after race car drivers in the business. And we have to treat him that way. We have to treat his contract that way. We can't treat him like, you know, like he's the kid. You yeah, treat him like the man. I think that I was raising in a lot of hell, partying a lot. <laughs> and I probably am like, you know, I was probably as hard to find sometimes as she was. And um, as long as we were racing good, I thought I could do anything I wanted the rest of the, you know, the rest of the time was mine to do anything I wanted to do with it. Um, in 04, 05, I was absolutely not in position to to run the team or or take over such a heavy responsibility. But I believe by the time I was ready to leave, if she would have take called my bluff on the 51% ownership that I put out there in the media day at Daytona, <laughs> I could have quickly grown into that person. Um, because I feel like as I went, when I went to Hendrick, there was a transition for me in, 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 in maturity and so forth. And I would have grown into that person to be able to, you know, to, to keep DI going. <laughs> we would have figured it out, you know, with Kelly's help and everybody else involved, it would have, we would have tried to figure it out. It would, you know, we've we've done it here, and I think we would have we would have stumbled, and it would have had to, yeah. it would have been some rough times. It would, but have the been, ba- the foundation was the laid. Foundation you know? was there, yeah, yeah. But I mean, I got a call from Tim Schuler from Budweiser one day mm-hmm. in Sea View Line, and they're like, "Hey, um, what's going on over at Junior's house?" And I said, "What do you mean?" Well, the local <laughs> bottler or <laughs> you know distributor just said. The most beer I deliver to any retailer in the entire state of North Carolina is is in Mooresville at Dale Jr.'s house. And I was like, they said, is he selling it? And they're like, like, no, they're drinking it. He goes, how the hell is he drinking so much beer? Like, we're delivering case after case after case. And like, there's not a store in the area, in the region, that's consuming as much beer. I had a lot of help drinking it. Yeah, I know. And I was like, well, I guess he's having a good time. You know, let him go. Let him go. But uh, I love those guys. I I missed, uh, actually, I saw Steve Uline uh, in January. I went and skied his place out in the steamboat. Did you come to the New Year's party that I had in the backyard in that big shop I built, the brick shop? Remember uh, that shop I built behind the house yeah, across the street? Yes. We had yes. the New Year's party there? No, I, I didn't, but I do have a story about that. Keep going. Yeah. I didn't go. I was just wondering if that was – we must have drank yeah. like 100, so, 150 cases. I'm going to tell you a ridiculous. story about that particular party. You were proud of that party. Yeah. You were put, you were putting out, sending out invites and everything. Yep. And so he came to my office, and he goes – and I'm not going to name the guy. He comes and he goes, I don't want that, that guy to be on my team anymore. I want you to I, I, move him or fire him or whatever. I don't want you to be on my team anymore. And I'm like, he's one of our best fabricators. Why? And he goes, well, I've got this party going on. I'm sending out invitations. And he goes, and I don't want to invite him. And if I don't want to drink beer with him, I don't want him working on my damn race car. <laughs> oh, my gosh. <laughs> and I was like – uh, Junior, I appreciate where you're coming from, but I, 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 man, I can't fire the guy over that. He will move him off my team, and he's like, I won't be around people I want to be around. And then he starts yelling at me. He's like, why are you coming? And I was like, well, because I have a family, and there's one week out of the year, it's between Christmas and New Year's, that I take off and go with them. And every 50 other, 51 other weeks, I'm doing this. And he goes, all right. 
And I was like, don't fire me because I didn't want to go to your party. <laughs> <laughs> oh, my God. You didn't yeah. fire him, but the guy probably didn't last, did he? No, uh, no he, he lasted to the end. He lasted to the end. Oh, you remember who it is. No, I don't. Yeah, you do. I no. don't. He, listened, he lasted to the end. He lasted to the end. <laughs> yeah. He was strange. I would give him that. <laughs> there was some strange. <laughs> I'm not just strange. pulling this stuff out of my ass. <laughs> <laughs> he was a strange guy. He was strange. Judah doesn't party with strange guys. I know. Picture this. It's blazing hot outside and you need to head to work. You get into your car and turn on the AC to get the cold air pumping as soon as possible, but it doesn't work. Instead, blowing hot air out of your vents and directly into your face. No, your car doesn't hate you. This issue is commonly caused by low refrigerant due to leaks in the air conditioning system, and there's an easy all-in-one solution that will restore your cold air in no time. There's no need to go to the shop and pay lots of money when you can save time and money recharging yourself with AC Pro Recharge Kits. AC Pro Recharge Kits make restoring cold air easy for even those with zero DIY experience. And the AC Pro app offers clear, vehicle-specific instructions to help you get the job done in less than 10 minutes. So pick up an AC Pro Recharge Kit at any store selling auto products and confidently restore your car's cold air yourself today. Be a pro with AC Pro. I got in trouble with your dad coming over to your house after you had a big binger. and uh, So... Phil Murdoch had called me about doing Remington a, guy. Yeah, and he was doing a endorsement deal with um, uh, one of the ATV companies. So your dad had Articat, right? Yep. And this is Polaris. So he's like, Polaris, we're going to do an endorsement with Junior. Give him this much money. We're going to give uh, this many four pieces of equipment. So ATVs, Lake, you know, Wave Runners, whatever, whatever you want. So I was like, he goes, I need an answer though. So I'm like, well, should I need to go over there? So I drive over to your house and I knock on the door and people start like coming out of like blankets on the floor <laughs> and off the couch. There's two guys sleeping like long ways like that on the couch. And it was, I was like, what in the hell? And so Junior's in there in, in the bedroom asleep. And I'm like, hey man, I, sorry, but I, I really have to, I got to get an answer to this guy. So I'm like, this is what they'll do. This is how much money is, how many, how many ATVs? And he's like, hell yeah, I'll do that. And so by the time I see Dale's truck pull up, Dale comes in the house, and he goes, what's going on in here? And he goes, why are you here? And I said, well, I'm talking to him about this player steal. He goes, what player steal? And I was like, well, it's, you know, I explain it to him. And he's like, go to my office. Okay. So I get in my car, go across the office, go upstairs, and I wait for him. I go to his office, wait for him. He comes back over there. He's mad as hell. So Jeff Blauser, I think it was Jeff Blauser's buddy. Pitcher? That, well, one of the guys. Yeah, from, pitcher for the Braves. Oh, yeah, somebody not, not give, a pitcher, somebody, he's a shortstop. Like a shortstop or something. He yeah. had given him a bat, an Atlanta Braves bat. And so Dale walks in, grabs his bat, and he's walking, pacing back and forth and hitting his boots. And he's hitting his boots, and he's like, I got a damn Articat deal. You don't ever, ever go to Dale Jr. with something that's in conflict with me. And he's like, you don't talk to him about anything until you talk to me first. And, like, I mean, he was mad God. slamming that bat. And he goes, don't you ever, ever do that again. I remember that. And he puts he puts the bat down. He says, now you want to go to lunch? And I was like, yeah. And I was like, man, I'm sorry. I'll never do it again. And and we, I don't think he ever did the player steal. Damn. And he didn't never do it. And then he, then he was mad because he's like, I'm going to say I'm seven-time champion. How's he getting more pieces <laughs> than me? <laughs> but, he he, um, he come over there. I remember one time I thought he was going to be mad about the – the, the after party. Yeah, yeah, yeah. The people <laughs> after the, the, people, the people the way they yeah. were sleeping. <laughs> <laughs> God, he um came over there one time 
after I wrecked the char- the car at Charlotte. I, I was going to tell you that story Driving too. the Wrangler car. Yeah. So I'm driving the Wrangler car in 1997 mm-hmm. in Charlotte, and we're fast. We're like eighth on the board. We're going to tape it off and qualify go, or go make a mock run in practice. We didn't know that we should probably put tires on too, so we had these 30-lap tires on and taped it off. <laughs> Oh like a God. recipe for disaster. <laughs> and sure enough, through three and four, I'm coming through the corner and it come around. And I bounced in the fence. And we loaded up and I think my career's over. over. Right? Yeah. And um, I go, I had Punch, I had a friend with me named Punchy and, and another guy. And uh, we rode over to my house and grabbed a uh, bottle of vodka and put it on this coffee table in front of me. And I got my cigarettes. I'm smoking. I got a big old pile. I got an ashtray ashtray full of cigarettes. Punchy and the other guy. God, I can't remember. What tarot was it? I don't think it was. Yeah. Are sitting on the couch across from me as a love seat. And we got our shoes kicked off and we're sitting there and I'm just, no, we're not talking, not jovial at all. (laughs) And I'm like, man, I don't know what I'm going to do. This sucks. I can't believe it. I'm uh, not going to run the race, and I wrecked a car, only car I got. I didn't know it, but they had brought the car over to the shop, and yes. we're working on it. Yep. The guys that were helping me, now they're I'm 50 yards away from them or just across the street. They're at the shop cutting the car apart to get yep. it fixed. And you don't know that? No. No. Oh, I know where this is going. Yeah. And so the door swings open. It's a double-wide trailer I lived in. And the door swings open, bam, slams against the washer and dryer. Yeah. Clunk, clunk. Clunk, clunk, doom, doom. Dad comes walking in. He looks over at my buddies and goes, get your f- shoes on and get off my property. Yep. And they grab their shoes and took off out the front door and choom, drive down the road. And Dad looks down at me and goes, what in the hell are you doing? They're over there working on your car right now, fixing it, cutting the frame. I'm like, I didn't know they were there. I didn't know they were doing that. Yeah. They're fixing it? Yes, they're cutting it apart. I'm like, they're, we're gonna, they're gonna, you're going to fix it? He's like, yes, yeah. we're going to fix it. I'm like, not for the race that weekend, but yeah. like, I just thought I was done. So we went outside. We went outside had, on the front porch. Yeah. We're on the deck because I was with them. You were he, with Dale. Yeah, uh, I, I was went, went over there with Dale. Yeah. And so. What was he saying when he's driving up the driveway? Um, He was just mad. Right. At first, he, I think at first he was just going to check on you. Oh. And then he was mad as hell because you were drinking, hanging out with your buddies, and the guys over there, you know, working, working. So it pissed him off. And then he went spike pissed, you know, like he was. So he, we come through, we sit out in the front porch, and then, and I, and this is something I, I don't know if I should share, but I'm gonna share it anyway. He goes, he starts yelling at him about getting his together, about getting his life together, figure out what you're gonna do. I'm trying to do all this stuff for you. And Junior is the first time I saw him do this. And he looked at him and he says, Dad, he's, he didn't call him Dad. He looked at him and he said, and I'm going to use your vernacular. He goes, I ain't been a pimple in your ass for the last 10 years. And all of a sudden, you can come over here and get start telling me all this stuff. And all of a sudden, like it meant something. And Dale's face changed. Now, I don't know if you remember saying that or not, but his <laughs> face changed. And I was like, that was one of those. I've had moments like that with my own son. And I finally, I finally told him one time he was yelling. I was yelling at him one time in his room, and he looked at me, and I, I stopped and I said, "You're right." And he was what? I don't, he didn't know what to do. <laughs> he didn't know what to do because I was always yelling at him. He was like, "I didn't know what to do." And I saw Dale's face change, and I was like, "This is a father son moment." And I walked away, and I went out. I went out and sit out in the truck and let them talk for a little bit longer and finish up. Yeah, because you stood up to him. Yeah, 
It's the greatest conversation we ever had. Yeah. It was the first conversation, like first real talk we yeah. had. And he he went from you're fing up. You're you're making all you know, you gotta get your ass in gear to like explaining to me, not like you know, yeah. not like he told you he was building it for you. Yeah. He was like, was hey, the first man. time he told you that. Yeah. It's the first time he really let me understand, like, like this is for you, man. This is happening. All this is, this is for you. This is, and we had a breakthrough. Mm-hmm. You know what I mean? Yeah. But uh, I'm glad I said that. Yeah. Yeah. <laughs> I, you, that's exactly what you said. I haven't been a pimp on your ass, and all of a sudden now, and I was like, oh, <laughs> <laughs> I'm sweating just thinking about it. <laughs> I'm like, oh, God. All right, I'm going to come over here. I'm going to hang out by the truck. <laughs> yeah. Wow. Uh, nah, it, was, uh, it was, I've had, you know, like I, I, I look back at my life and I've seen some remarkable things and, and you learn from those. And, and, and I, those moments like there, I'm glad you remembered a lot of them because I, when, because I, I honestly, I, I'm going to say this again out loud. There are so many people. Who won't walk around talking about Dale Earnhardt stories. And like they did this and they did that and they did this. And like half times you're like, that's not even the right year. Yeah. Like that, you guys weren't even the same. He didn't, he would never do that. And so it's neat to be able to sit down like this and talk about those moments because they were impactful for you and impactful for him, but impactful for me as well as as part of my whole growth. And um, so yeah, it's I, I'm I'm glad we could talk about yeah. it. Yeah, <laughs> I love being able to talk about dad and share the the true you know the true uh, stories about him. He was we we both loved him. You, yeah, you know, and we both think the world of him. But damn, he was a human. You know, and he yeah. and he failed and he mis- made mistakes and yeah. and he wasn't perfect. Yeah. And I I like when we talk about. You know that part of him where you get to see him yeah. fail and make and be real, you know, and be yeah. and be human. I was riding down the road on the way to Dar- uh, Darlington with my Nova to drive it, mm-hmm. and had my uncle G- uh, Robert G. Jr. with me, yeah, and he right. spent a ton of time with my dad in the seventies going to the dirt tracks. Mm-hmm. And then when he tells a story about Dale Earnhardt, he holds Dad on this pedestal. Mm-hmm. We went here, and Dale did this, and we did Dale. Dale did this, and Dale did this. And every story that you're going to, pretty much most of the stories you're going to hear from Robert G. Jr., Dad's going to be wearing a crown, yeah, right? Right, right. And Robert G. Jr. has a brother, Jimmy, that was there mm-hmm. during all those same times. But if you have Jimmy separate to tell the same story, yeah, he tells a more realistic yeah. version mm-hmm. of the story. Like he'll say, yeah, Dad, Dad, uh, you know, would go, Dad would go to a junkyard to get a $3 part. And go and pay the guy three bucks to go back there and get his part, and then he'd eyeball all the other cars and around there and all the other things he needed, and break into that junkyard in the middle of the night and steal all that stuff. <laughs> yeah, yeah. You know, and Robert G. Jr. would never tell that story, right? right? Yeah. And uh, so I like, you know, we've been talking about how insane, amazing he is yeah. all these years, and it's sometimes it's fun to talk about how real he was. And yeah, and he was an imperfect father, and and. You know, but he he got things right too, right? He, yeah. he he got it wrong, and then he turned it around and got it right, and been able to. You know, that was ninety seven when that conversation happened. Yeah, I remember. Yeah, and you know how ninety eight, ninety nine, yeah. and and two thousand went with me and him. Yeah, I mean, we were yeah. getting closer and closer and closer, and the conversations we were having were less. You need to do it this way, more and more. Like we're going to do this together. We're, build, we're building something. We're yeah. going to do this together. Yeah. You did a, you know. Yeah, I. I 
I, 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 so there's a couple of things. I, remember when you used to have a basketball goal at, out, out there and then somebody tore their leg up or tore an Achilles or something? <laughs> yeah. Dale was like, no basketball. And yeah. I, to, I told Dale, I'm like, basketball is my life, man. Like, I, I play basketball every day. I go to the hood and play because I love it. And he was like, nope, can't play. So I came back from a race on the Xfinity, like it's Bush, Bush race, whatever, and I wasn't going to be there for the cup race. And I tore my ACL playing basketball at the YMCA. So he gets home from the race that night, and he calls me. He's like, what time are you going to come to the shop tomorrow? And I was like, I'll be there early, but I say, let you know. I tore my knee up pretty bad. He goes, doing what? And I said, playing basketball. And he goes, I'll see you tomorrow. And he slams the phone down. And he's so pissed. So the next day I go over there, and we're building DEI. It's like, you know, it's like, you know, uh, Nathan's building it out there yeah. after looking at plans and stuff. And so he's coming out of this shell of a building and I'm over in the deer head shop and I walk over and I'm limping and stuff and he could see which leg I was limping on and he had to go to an appearance. So he's got like his, you know, chase shirt on his <laughs> blue chase shirt and his jeans and his boots. And he gets there close and puts his hand out for me. And right when I go to shake his hand, he picks up his leg and he kicked me right in the knee as hard as he could right in my, my, my knee. And like, I mean, took me down. And he goes, I told you to never play basketball. Now I'm not going to have my employees where they can't be around. And I'm like, I mean, I'm like teared up. It freaking hurt. So this was like on a Monday. So later in the week, his the girl, Becky, used to come around, like work on his back and stuff because his neck was all messed up. She's like, um, she checks, she goes, you know, you tore your ACL. And I'm like, I know, but I, I can't, I can't like take a minute off to go to the doctor. And I'm at Rockingham limping around. And he goes, she goes and tells Dale, Dale sends Jimbo over and I go over and see him. And he's like, go home right now. Go see Dr. Serene. He's going to fix you up. I've already talked to him. Like he felt bad. So he's talking about an imperfect person. Yeah. He, that's just, he didn't, couldn't control it. Like yeah. he just, and I'm like, dude, like you have a torn, I have a torn ACL. And instead of being like, being like on, on a, on the pedestal, he took me out. Yeah. And I was like, dude, that, that's not cool. That was really not cool. It's not <laughs> so, cool. <laughs> and uh, but he had, you know, he, he does. He he was he was influential in everybody's lives. But he, um, there are a lot of days where I just was like, get this man out of this office, <laughs> get this man on the back of that farm, get him on a bulldozer, get him on a bulldozer, get him in a happy place because he is a miserable son of. A yeah, right now, and God, he would come through there so it. hot. I couldn't stand it. And then, then Uncle Randy would come in. <laughs> he was, "What's going on?" Like, you don't even want to know. Like, I just, I, I just was. Yeah, you're right. Everybody, I, I, I love the fact that people t- speak so highly, but at the same time, the flaws are what make it right. Mm-hmm. And I, and we've, we've all done it. We've all lived it. And yeah, better for it. What was the best thing? Uh, the best thing about DEI, in my, my opinion, was the kitchen. Mm. You remember the name of the cook, Chef David? Yeah. His name? yeah, maybe, maybe, because we had two. Yeah. Chef Dave, the younger yeah. fella yeah. used to cook this stir-fry with chicken. And yeah. It was like kind of like a, a, a Asian sort of f- flavor to it. Yeah. Freaking amazing guy. So, you could go, I could walk up. This was like the best perk in the world, yeah. man. I live right across the street. I could get in, you know, got up out of bed at noon. <laughs> I could go over and be like, Chef David, man, mix me up some of that chicken. Yeah. So we had this trophy room, and Dale's like, "I'm gonna make this restaurant because I want people to have to drive into town." So he, yeah, he, uh, he's like, "We're gonna feed them." It's insane. Like, yeah, I was like, "All right, well, this that's is cool." An and it was five dollars. Yes, five, five bucks. bucks. And he's like, five bucks, and you and they had like unbelievable spread out there. Like you couldn't. The get meal 15, had to cost. Bucks. Yeah, the meal yeah. had to cost fifteen dollars, twenty dollars yeah, to yeah. make. No way they were making it right. Employees had a card. Right. You could swipe your card, and it charged you five bucks off your. 
off of your, I mean, I know this makes sense to you now, but imagine this in yeah. 1999, 2000. It, it was ahead of yeah. time. Way yeah. ahead of this time. Yeah. Everybody so, loved it. And so, and then Dale said he was going to buy that field across the street, and he said, I'm going to build houses in here, and I'm going to build these houses, because I'm gonna, and only employees can, can uh, buy these houses, and I'll, they'll buy them from me. And I'm like, okay, wait a minute. So they work here. You want to live there, and they're going to eat here. <laughs> I'm like, <laughs> I'm like, we call it Daleville. You know, yeah, yeah. like it's not. No one's going anywhere. And uh, and so, but that was awesome. But my one of my favorite meals I ever had up there was uh, AJ Foyt came over. Damn. And he was looking at buying all of our bush stuff because we were getting going cup racing in 2001. So AJ Foyt came over and sat down, and AJ. And your dad and I sat there at lunch for two hours, mm. maybe more, talking about life and racing and cars and inventory and how much we're going to sell stuff for. And I was like, how how this little kid who is like the, the, the pit reporter at 19 couldn't go to the college I wanted to go to sitting here with these two legends, man. It was awesome. That was my, my favorite trophy room moment. Yeah. Can't imagine there being one better than that. Yeah. AJ Foyt and Dale Earnhardt. Yeah. They're a couple of hardheads. They were fun, fun to listen to them. They were they were too busy stroking each other about how oh yeah you're great nah you're great nah you're great. And I'm like hey, come on man fight about something. Everybody's great. <laughs> well man, we're gonna have to cut it off. It's yeah. been a fun conversation. Yeah, damn, just so much to yeah, so much so so many things that I'd forgotten uh, that you remember. I've always kind of admired that about people that can remember all the details about a conversation or a meeting yeah. and, and, and the, and the feeling and temperature in the room and all that. Yeah. And, uh, you brought back a lot of cool memories. Yeah. That's and great. it was good. It was a, uh, I hoped it would be like this. Yeah. You know? <laughs> it's been therapy for me too. Yeah. I, I need to get some stuff off. I, it's not therapy as just much as quite often. I hate people who only can live in the past and can't live in the future. Yeah. They only live there and, um, it's a great place to visit. Mm-hmm. It's a great place to think about, but man, I, I love what you're doing right now. Um, I, I couldn't be happier with what I'm doing professionally and personally right now. And so I'm finally somebody I can look in the mirror and be proud of. And, uh, and, and it takes a while to get there. And, yeah. and so it's all good, man. Well, man, you always been a great friend to me. You've always had, you know, all the ups and downs that I've been through that you've been through personally. Anytime I've ever had a, a text from you or a conversation with you, you've supported me. Um, you're an amazing person. Um, I appreciate it. Yeah, you've been you've been really you were an amazing great friend to my dad. Very loyal and and yeah. and and you know protective of his vision. Um, and things were things were going to be amazing there had had everything worked out like we'd hoped. Yep. But uh, it sent us somewhere else in a bunch of different directions, and yep. now here you are back, uh, kind of back where you started with an opportunity to build something pretty amazing. So, like yeah. I said, it's been fun to watch you guys this year. I love y'all's crew chief. Yeah, Travis, Travis has is great. Been a part of my life for for several years now, and I've always believed in him. So it's great to see him get that opportunity. Yeah. Um, but I'm wishing y'all the best. So thank you, I'm, man. You know, secretly pulling for you guys every <laughs> every Sunday to have success. I appreciate it. Thank you. Yeah, I, man. I, I appreciate it. It's um it's another opportunity to take someone's vision and be a good lieutenant. Yeah. And you're right. It's uh, life's a circle, and here we are. That's right, man. Happy about Ty it. Ty Norris on the Dale Junior Download. The Dale Jr. Download is brought to you by ZipRecruiter. You going to any concerts this summer, man? I am. I'm seeing a concert in June. Hardy 
and Kit Moore. Love Hardy. In uh, Charlotte. I was so stressed getting the tickets. I'm going to be front row. I'm, gonna, I'm in the pit. When these tickets go out, man, I am online as soon as tickets open. I don't want to miss a thing. Yeah, you, you know, you got to act quick. Yes. And when you want the best, you have to act quickly or someone else will get it instead. It's like if you're hiring for a business, you want to find the most talented people for your open roles before the competition scoops them up. Mm. So what's the best way to do that? ZipRecruiter. ZipRecruiter finds qualified candidates fast, and right now, you can try it for free at ZipRecruiter.com slash Dale Jr. ZipRecruiter's powerful matching technology takes center stage to identify top talent for your roles. Immediately after you post your job, ZipRecruiter's smart technology starts showing you qualified people for it. Amp up your hiring performance with ZipRecruiter and find the best fast. See why four out of five employers who post on ZipRecruiter get a quality candidate within the first day. Just go to this exclusive web address right now to try ZipRecruiter for free. ZipRecruiter.com slash Dale Jr. Again, that's ZipRecruiter.com slash Dale Jr. ZipRecruiter, the smartest way to hire. It's finally time for the best part of the show, Ask Junior, brought to you by Xfinity. All right, for Ask Junior this week, we're going to spin it a little bit differently. Uh, instead of the live audience, we took questions from the folks here at Junior Motorsports. So okay. these questions are coming from within the shop. Um, curious as to what kind of questions we got. Are they really they really put these in, Leah? They really did, okay. and some of them put in a heck of an effort. Great. Well, let's hear it. Coming up with these. Awesome. So let's get it started. Hey, what's up, Dale? Freddie Kraft here, obviously. Leah's making me record a question for you here. Um, my question is, Tommy Ryan is one of my heroes in racing. Him and my dad are best friends. And I you know, looked up to him all my life, mainly because he's like six feet taller than I am. But uh, he, I know he played a big part in your career. Just tell uh, any funny story, anything. What kind of role did he play in your career? So Tom Ryan uh, was a guy that uh, Tony Jr. and Tony Sr. brought into the Bud team. And... He was a big part of the success that we had at um, Daytona and Talladega, to be quite honest. Me and Tom would work together at the test sessions on the cowl. And uh, the cowl was so important to how the car drafted and how it would push, uh, how it would uh, lead. And so he could change little things inside the cowl duck. Uh, the shape, size, form of it to change how it reacted in any situation out on the racetrack. And we really worked hand-in-hand trying to perfect what the car needed from the cowl. Um, Something that's very, very critical, uh, and he was really, really good at it. Uh, He was was helpful. I mean, that was important from the start of the season to the end of the season, and he had a big role within the team week-to-week. Um, but man, when we went to those plate tests, uh, it, me and him, ta- me and him spent a lot of time working, uh, r- run after run. I would have to debrief with him about the cow hmm. and, uh, and how I felt it was performing. And, uh, he was always, uh, tuning on that thing and, and changing it. And you never, you never found something that you stuck with for years, right? You never found something that you even in the same season. What worked at Daytona, we might we were always trying to improve it, and he was never let he never let up. We'd never go to we'd never get you know if we won at Daytona, we wouldn't go to Talladega with the same thing, and th- and not to try to improve improve on it. One other thing about Tom is that when you were going to Hendrick Motorsports and Hendrick basically told Tony Erie Jr. 
you can bring two or three people. They yeah. gave him a number. Tom was one of those two or three people that went to Hendrick, and he yeah. is still there today. Yes. Wow. He's a great employee. All right, next question. Hi, guys. I'm uh, Dave Ellens, crew chief of the <laughs> number nine Xfinity car. And uh, I was curious to ask Dale Jr. about uh, a lot of first wins we've had for uh, different people throughout uh, the history of JRM. And uh, I think probably two of the most important wins in, from his standpoint would be the win with Josh Berry at Martinsville and then the win with uh, Keselowski at Nashville back at the uh, infancy of JRM. Um, so my question would be, how, how are those two wins different in what they mean to you? You know, one being at the very beginning when, you know, you didn't know where JRM was going to go and how successful it would become, you know, and then one with our most recent success, knowing what our team and uh, company is capable of. Just what's the difference between those? When uh, we started Junior Motorsports, I, so the win with Brad Keselowski was a big uh, – was a big deal because we had we were such a struggling trying to develop type of team for so many years trying to get the right driver trying to get the cars better uh it seemed like we were always just a little bit behind on our cars and equipment i brought tony senior and tony jr in here and tony senior was a big part of getting us to the winner's circle uh getting our cars good enough to win and uh brad keselowski was the driver that was doing the same thing from behind the seat, getting us the type of performance on the racetrack and effort out of the driver, getting the same, getting the talent from the driver's seat that we were we were needing, uh, and that was a great combination for us for a good while to show us what we were capable of and sort of set a new standard. Once you start to once you start to do what we were able to do with those two, we expected that out of ourselves. We'd never expected that out of ourselves until that point. So they, uh, so Brad and Tony Senior. Um, Working together and getting us to Victor Circle really shaped what you know what the new standard would be going forward, and we've always tried to achieve and and expect to achieve that type of success since. Now with uh, Josh, you know it was really more about I knew what the team could do and knew what the car was capable of and believe in Taylor as a crew chief and and uh, want to see him have success. But we've been working with Josh trying to get him opportunities and. Uh, really threw a Hail Mary uh, to get him into the car a little bit this year and hoped that it would pay off. And it would have been very frustrating up to that point. Josh was super frustrated with how his luck had been going and just things weren't he – couldn't, he couldn't figure out how to finish races and put races together. He had shown good speed, but nobody was going to remember that. He needed to have the results. And so um, it was just a completely different scenario and a different sensation or emotion and, and – uh, uh, it's been great to see Taylor um, really benefit from working with Josh the way he has. Um, I think it's it's helped him with his confidence and his feeling about what he does as a crew chief and going you know his future. Um, so that's a great bonus uh, that I didn't really see happening, and it's uh, he he's he's now so motivated to try to get Josh more success in the few opportunities he got going forward and then Sam Mayer gets in the car for the rest of the year and we start that process all over again trying to get Sam Mayer to victory lane trying to get Sam Mayer uh the results that we feel like he needs or he feels like he needs so and I think that I think the success that Josh has had this year and how that has benefited Taylor is going to benefit Sam now that Taylor has this Taylor's going into the Sam Mayer part of the season with way more confidence in himself right 
that he knows that he's doing the right thing to the cars and preparing the cars. So all that stuff is sort of one domino. It's all the dominoes are starting to fall in, in, in the right order. Next question. Hey, Junior, it's your iRacing crew chief, Stephen Steffen. Hmm. Just want to know what your favorite iRacing slash sim racing or online gaming memory is. Man, I mean, I won the very first World Drivers' Championship race. That is definitely will be my favorite memory. So the 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 iRacing NASCAR Championship Series that happens that we're a part of, we're a team in there uh, with Junior Motorsports. That series started probably in two thousand and eight or two thousand and ten. I can't remember, but it started way back. And I was in the very first season. I think I ran for a couple years, uh, but I was in the first season and won the first race. And I won it on uh, fuel mileage. Um, if a caution hadn't come out at the end of the race, this was before we had green-white checkers, but if a caution hadn't come out, I probably would have ran out and not won the race. But if <laughs> I was stretching my fuel mileage and probably going to be a little short. Caution comes out, and I was able to save fuel to get to the finish line and win. But I'll never, I really, uh, I'll go back, every once in a while, I'll go back and look at the finishing order and look at all the names that were in that series back then. And some of those guys are still racing today. Brad Davies was in that race. That's cool. Um, Heck, Stefan might have been in it. I don't know, but pretty fun. Next question. Hey, Dale. Taylor Murray here. I could you for you sometimes. Hey, I had a question. As a team owner and talent scout, is it more impressive to you if a driver outperforms subpar equipment on a full season schedule or if a driver saves his money and performs or wins a bunch of races in better equipment on a limited schedule? I think it's more impressive when a driver takes a car that doesn't run well and outperforms in it or makes the car run better than it should. That's, that's usually the sign to me that this guy's got extraordinary ability. There's a lot of drivers out there that can win in great equipment. You know, not everybody can, but there's a lot of guys that if you put them in the one of the best cars out there, they're going to go and take, do what it's supposed to do, and uh, and great, you know, and that, that that's not a wrong way to do it, but I definitely am more impressed when I see a car consistently run poorly, and one guy gets in it and makes it run better, and there's only a few people that can do that. Mm. Most uh, all the the good drivers will get everything out of the car. All right, if it's a first-place car, they'll run first. If it's a fifth-place car, they'll run fifth. Those are the good drivers. The great ones will take that fifth-place car and win. And uh, there's only a few that can do that. And it's easier to see that talent or that ability when it's a really bad car, Mm. right? If it's a 30th. It's harder to see a fifth-place car go run first because you really don't know. Was it a fifth-place? Yeah, Yeah, it's a five. But if it's a 30th place car and he can run 15th, then you're like, man, this guy might have something unique, you know? So I always I, remember you saying that about Brad Kozlowski. Before I ever knew who he was, yeah. you were saying this guy, can, he's not supposed to be finishing in the truck series where he's finishing. He was driving in, a, in an Xfinity car, this black 23. Oh, that's right. Yeah. Yeah. And we were, uh, I was watching him in Atlanta and uh, he found the top groove and uh, he was running about. 15 spots better than he should have been. Right. And then we went to Bristol just a couple weeks later, and he qualified in the top 10 Yeah, with a car that's about a 25th place car, maybe. So um, that was like light bulb. This guy 
can do it. Then he jumps in that truck in Memphis and almost won. Right. I was thinking, in my mind, I'm like, we got to hurry. We got to hurry and hire this guy. They're going to scoop him up. I remember. I don't know if there was that much demand at that particular point, but I was certainly uh, rushing to figure out if we could get him in our car. All right, one more question. Hey, TJ here. Just want to know about that one time hanging out down at the Western Town, and you thought you wanted to arm wrestle me. Oh, Just Jesus. want to hear your side of the story. <laughs> like I said, some people put more effort in than others. So a, a couple of weeks ago, yeah, low effort, TJ. Yeah. A couple of weeks ago, um, I mentioned that TJ was pretty good at arm wrestling, and I guess he's wanting. I he's guess wanting more. Yeah. People don't believe that, and he must be hearing the disbelief and going double down, Dale Jr. <laughs> yeah. I need you to double down. Yep. So, um, yeah, you know, he's he's pretty good at arm wrestling. He really is. Mike, did you arm wrestling? <laughs> no, but I saw him. Yeah. I saw a couple, and he's, uh, yeah, he has some freakish strength, I guess. He does. <laughs> you never know it by looking at him, though. <laughs> no, you would. <laughs> oh, man. Yeah. Well, well that, that we got TJ with our uh, last question. Yeah. Yeah. All right. Well, that's Junior. Uh, you heard it from the, uh, from, the, from the interior of Junior Motorsports. So a lot of great questions there. And uh, some people did uh, did come with some pretty good ones. So enjoyed it. Uh, thanks for uh, tuning in, and uh, appreciate Xfinity for uh, supporting this part of the show. Why does my favorite part of the show always go so fast? Well, that's probably because you're trying to keep up with the speed of Xfinity X-Fi, Dale. Well, speed isn't everything, Mike. You know that. Xfinity X-Fi is also reliable, powerful, and secure. Oh, that it is. With Xfinity X-Fi, you can do more of what you love with faster internet. You and your crew can stay connected with Wi-Fi coverage that delivers the speed your devices need. Hey, and remember, everybody, send your Ask Junior questions to the at Xfinity Racing handle on Twitter. All right. Thank you to Xfinity Proud, premier partner of NASCAR. All right, last call, guys. The Dale Jr. Download TV version on NBCSN is at 6 p.m. Eastern this week. Thanks to Ty Norris for joining us. Man, we heard some great stories from Ty and his days at DEI and even so much more. And that was a lot to unpack. Yep. Hope you guys enjoyed it. Have a great week, and we'll see you next week.
This bit of badassery was badassery was made by badassery. Dirty Mo Media. Dirty Mo.